This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field, Aminio left the building. Guerrero lifts one to left field, and gone! Otani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. I got to tell you, I am so disappointed in my technology. It's unbelievable. As I'm looking here at MLB Network, it, it just won't fire. As I'm trying to watch the playoffs from my studio. God, I hate Xfinity. Because we're underway, Cody. We're, we're, we're ready to rock. It, this is the best time of the year when you've got playoff baseball mixed in with NFL, NHL, NBA is about to start. This is the best time of the year if you're a sports fan. I think there's no question about it. But yet, I'm like the only guy that can't get the playoffs on my screen. Well, uh, I have the game on my team in my uh, office here, and uh, Framber Valdez just got pulled in the Astros game. It's the fifth inning. Framber Valdez pulled by Dusty. Wait, I thought old school managers were going to leave their guys in the game. I I don't understand what's going on here. I oh, because you think old school guys aren't listening to, to the front yeah. office? So Framber Valdez pulled sixty nine pitches, guys on first and third with one out. Nimi Garcia in for the Astros. So it's a two two game. Astros leading the series one nothing as Lance McCullers Jr. Just shoved yesterday against the White Sox. As I saw someone des- describe the White Sox on Twitter earlier, they are a mediocre team that won a really bad division. I was like, eh, I don't know if they're mediocre. They're pretty good. But as you'll hear from Hembo later, um, he lays out how bad they are against postseason teams. But this is a good series. This game's interesting right now, 2-2 in the fifth inning. Yeah, I, I, I you know, in the end, I, I, oh, here we finally, finally, let me turn it off here. There you go. Jose Abreu coming to the plate, 30 bombs, 117 RBIs. Yeah, I do not buy. It's like when people tell you, like when your football team gets out to like a 3-0 start, and they go, well, who have you played? Doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is wins. No matter who you play, what their record are, your schedule is your schedule. So I'm not going to sit here and say that the Chicago White Sox are an easy out because they played in the Central, which right now they've got a runner on third, a runner at first, and they got Jose Abreu at the plate, one of the best run producers that we've seen in a long time. I don't play the schedule game. You know, like, like the athletics this year, how many times, Cody, did we talk about it? how bad the A's were against teams that were 500 or, or, or better. But if they made the postseason, what does it matter? None of that matters. That's the thing that always 
that always gets me going. Is like people like to play the schedule game. It's like it's it really doesn't matter. It's it's who you got in front of you. And the Chicago White Sox are a scary team. There's no no doubt about it. And a base hit back up the middle for Jose Abreu, and now the White Sox take the lead. I mean, the thing that's scary about the White Sox and Tim Anderson scores is their athleticism and their bullpen. They've got a ton of athleticism and their bullpen. Everybody coming out of that bullpen is throwing 100 miles an hour, including our old friend, Liam Hendricks. Yeah, we saw it yesterday. Garrett Crochet pitched in the game yesterday. Jose Ruiz, he throws hard, but he also has devastating breaking stuff. I mean, their bullpen is – we even mentioned Craig Kimbrell, one of the greatest closers of all time, is like now the setup man for the – for Tony La Russa and the White Sox. And, you know, he's had a bad second half since he joined the White Sox, but he's still Craig Kimbrough, and he's still pretty still pretty good. And in the postseason, he's pretty consistent. So if they can win this game, it's evened up going back to Chicago. And and uh, on the uh, – I think it's the north side is where they play. I'm, I'm not oh, no, 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 no. That's not where they play. Yeah. I, I, is, it the, is it the west side somewhere? Oh, they play on the south side of Chicago. That's right. I've been told that the the east side, or is it the west side, is actually in the water of Lake Michigan. I want to say it's the oh boy. Um, uh, want to say it's it was one of them. It was one of those cardinal directions. <laughs> You're in Lake, Mi- and then you you never want to go to the other side or whatever it was. But yeah, they play on the south side. So, and game three would be Sunday, and it'd be uh, Luis Garcia pitching for Houston and TBD old TBD pitching for. Tony Larusa and the White Sox. So, this series could be interesting because, like, Houston is so good all around. I mean, they don't have to rely on the home run to win. Their lineup one through nine, I guess one through eight. You really don't know what you're going to get from Martin Maldonado, but one through eight, their lineup is good. Like yesterday, Jake Myers was the player that came up big for them. So, I mean, it's, it's always guys that come up big, and like in the playoffs, like Correa, you know how good he is. You know how good Otuve is in the playoffs. They're a scary team. They re- they really are. If they can get through this series and it's them in the race potentially, that's a great ALCS if that happens. Well, a wild pitch has just moved up uh, runners to third and second for the White Sox. If they get one big hit here, they can really make some separation. You know, who who did I pick to win the World Series? The Rays. Do you think that's even going to be a series between them and Boston? No. Uh, no. you, you, you got Chris Sale tonight for the Red Sox, your only hope. Um, as we saw last night, that game last night was awesome. Uh, we can get to that, but you get Sale tonight, but you got Shane Boz pitching, Baz pitching tonight for the, for the Rays. Like we mentioned, they're the first team since the 2012 A's to have two starters pitch in a postseason series back to back. That was, uh, Jared Parker and Tommy Malone. So Shane McClanahan was good last night for them. One, um, Eduardo Rodriguez was not good for, for the Red Sox last night. Uh, Alex Cora pulled him early. But, yeah, I don't think that's going to be really be a series. I think the series could be over in three, to be honest. And I'm not playing a Rays bias. I'm just saying I think that the Rays are just that much better than them. And when it's and when, for some reason, when it's postseason in St. Petersburg and you put Randy Rosarain in October, he becomes <laughs> Mr. October for some reason. I don't understand what it is, but the guy is unbelievable in October. All right, here you go. Of the 86 teams that have gone up 2-0 in a best-of-five postseason series, 76 have went on to win the series. That is that is a percentage of 
you go up in a series that's a best of five, you go up 2 nothing. it's basically ball game over. That's just the numbers that, that you have to realize. And, you know, you think about the Astros, you think about the Rays today, you go up 2 nothing. it literally is ball game over. And Randy Arozarena, I this guy, because of, of Franco, he may not get the rookie of the year, but it's just amazing that you put this guy in the postseason and what he does. Randy Arozarena now has a career, 11 home runs, and has scored 22 runs in 21 postseason games. I want you to think about that. The guy has played in 21 postseason games. He's hit 11 dingers, and he scored 22 runs. You want me to take it one step further for you that'll blow your mind more? Is that more? any good? By the way, is that any good? I'm going to put in context for you how good it is real quick. He has 11 career postseason home runs. What was it, 21 games? 21 I, games. I think it's 119 combined, or I forget how many career uh, games it is in the postseason. Buster Posey, Mookie Betts, and Freddie Freeman have a combined 11 home runs amongst the three of them in their combined playoff history. Randy Arozarena has done it in literally one postseason in one game. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, I wonder, like, 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 who does he rank with? Like, how many, how many guys in the history of the game? I bet, I bet you go Babe Ruth. How many guys have 11 home runs in 21 postseason games? I'd have to look. I mean, you, you would like think- Carlos Beltran had that incredible run with the Astros back in the day. I mean, this is this 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 kid literally has vaulted himself into being one of the great postseason players of all time. He's uh he's 18 home runs behind tying Manny Ramirez for the most home runs in the history of the postseason. He's seven behind. That doesn't count. Manny was in the postseason every year. That doesn't count. He's seven behind tying Nelson Cruz, who's eight, who has 18. He had his 18th last night. Nelson Cruz is tied for sixth with Mickey Mantle, Jose Altuve, and Mr. October himself, Reggie Jackson. Well, he's, he's seven away. A, hey, how many games has Nelson Cruz played in? He's played in a lot in the postseason. He's also the oldest player to ever hit a postseason, second oldest player to ever hit a home run in the postseason, trailing only. Julio Franco at the age of 43 when he hit one in the 2001 postseason. Nelson Cruz has had an unbelievable career. I mean, it's, 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 you know, we've seen a lot of it, whether it was in Texas or, or in Seattle. But this guy has had an unbelievable, what's he, 41 years old? 41, yeah. Yeah, you're hitting a dinger in the playoffs at 41 years old. He was hustling down the line faster than some guys run. Like, he had a ground, I think it was the third. And he hustled down the line faster than I've seen guys just run down the line that are in their 20s. And he's 41 years old and he plays DH. I mean, it's 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 unbelievable. That's why I want – that's the guy I wanted. If you remember back, I wanted him. You're bringing back Chris Davis? Give me Nelson Cruz. That was the guy I wanted the A's to pick up. 47 postseason games for Nelson Cruz. 18 home yeah, runs. Yeah, he's legit. 
Like, you're like, oh, Chris Davis, look what he's doing in AAA. Nelson Cruz is legit. How he would have made the A's offense that much better, just putting him in every day saying, all right, all right, big boy, you're hitting behind Matt Olson. Can you imagine the amount of pitches Matt Olson would have got in the second half with Nelson Cruz sitting on deck behind him? And I don't, I, I don't even remember what they gave up for him, but it couldn't have been. Tampa couldn't have gave a lot. There's a couple prospects, if I'm not mistaken. I'll pull up the trade, and I have Cruz's numbers. And uh, in, in 55 games with the Rays in the regular season, and that was 217 at bats. He had 13 okay, before, home runs. But before you say it, how many home runs did Chris Davis have for the A's? Uh, one. Okay. Nelson Cruz hit 13. 13 homers, he drove in, 36. He struck out an incredible 63 times. That's how many times he struck out with the Twins or in his, the first half. And he hit, but he only hit 226, but he did hit 13 home runs. If you would have had that at the DH spot for the, for the A's, how many more games did the A's win? Well, they won. By they just won. having Nelson Cruz in the lineup, Sitting behind Matt Olson. And now Matt Olson's not getting walked as much as he got walked. You got to pitch to him. What is the A's record at that point? They probably go for 90 wins because they finished with what, 86, 86, and 76. They're probably they're pushing 90. Points. Yeah, they gave up a few. I'm looking, they gave up a few prospects. One of them was Joe Ryan, who pitched on the U.S. Olympic team. But uh, uh, they really, it's not like they gave up, you know, a Wander Franco S talent to get Nelson Cruz. No. You know, you just wonder, you know, what they would have looked like if you bring a if you bring a guy of that caliber into your in into your clubhouse and into your lineup, how much does that change? You think of how good Starling Marte was. Think about if you would have brought Nelly Cruz. And it's interesting, you know, you watch you watch how a guy comes in and what he does for a lineup. And that's why these playoffs are going to be fascinating. By the way, you're going to uh you're going to Giants Dodgers tonight, Commander. Yeah, we bought the tickets. So we were waiting to see how this was going to play out being that my I can say future we're going to be married in a month. Uh future wife is a Angels fan, but you know, she claims that when the Angels aren't playing well, she's also a Dodger fan, so she uses that I lived in what? LA, two city BS oh, thing. that is garbage. That's hot garbage. But she was like, we should go you see. You never th- told me that. You know what? She's now not invited to my <laughs> to my uh, Halloween. You can't be a Dodger and an Angel fan. Well, that well, her her family roots for both of them. I get. I mean, I never understood it. It's not like it's not like me. Like, how it, is that possible? I I don't understand it. But if you're an Angel fan, you should despise the Dodgers. But it's weird because, like, their family dynamic is interesting because, like, they don't root for when the Lakers are out. They don't root for the Clippers. You know what I mean? Like, they they root for the Lakers. They who? Uh, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I'm just looking at like the LA teams. Ooh. So when you think about it, like she, since the Angels stink and they've made the playoffs since 2014, she always just roots for the Dodgers. Like, so we're going to the game because of that. We're waiting. Does we're like, she root for the Ducks? Or does she root for the Kings? Uh, well, she's actually a Sharks fan, but I can I convert her to. But she it, it, it just it just it, it keeps getting worse. <laughs> uh, but so we were waiting to see how the series is going to play out, 
And is we're, she a Laker or a Warrior fan? Uh, she doesn't really pay attention to basketball. But neither. Who's her football team? Uh, she's a Miami Dolphins fan. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, well, just stop talking. Well, remember there was no team stop in talking. anyway. So let me. So we're waiting to see how the series, the Walker game, is going to play out because we're like, do we really want to see Giants Cardinals? Because I wanted to see Giants Dodgers. I mean, I wanted to see that happen in the postseason. I thought that atmosphere at Oracle Park is going to be awesome. It's one of the most historic rivalries in sports. Two hundred plus win teams. So I bought the tickets, and then the Dodgers won the wild card game. And I was like, oh, we, we, we uh, bought them at the most opportune time because the tickets have skyrocketed after that. So, yeah, we're well, going I'll, tonight. I'll, I'll tell you this. Of my giant buddies, my buddies who love the San Francisco Giants, guess who they didn't want to play, and they know it? The Cardinals? No, they didn't want to play the Dodgers. Oh, yeah, Everyone, everyone online. When I saw people putting up, this polls, is not. This is not a good matchup for them. Well, when I saw people putting polls up on Twitter, like our old, you know, our old coworkers and stuff, they're like, "Who do you want to see?" Everyone's like, "Oh, I'd rather play the." Car-. Of course, you'd rather play the Cardinals because they didn't work. And then, you like, want to play the Dodgers? And you and, want that coming to town? I, I was listening. You want that swagger? I, I, this morning, I was listening because I was out. I went to the store. And I put on the radio, and I heard people calling saying, oh, the Dodgers won a Mickey Mouse title last year. That that doesn't mean anything. Giants won them the hard way. They beat, well, le- hey, they hey, beat hey, legendary hey. teams. Hey, whoever said that is a moron. It was, it was every, everyone that called in. That okay, I heard. if you believe that the Los Angeles Dodgers won a Mickey Mouse title, you have no idea what you're talking about. You literally have no idea what you're talking about. And that's where it's it's one of the reasons why I don't listen to sports talk anymore. I lived it. I did it for 30 years. But fans are just morons. Last year's title was literally, if you take, I don't know, 150-something years of playing baseball, Last year's title was the toughest one to ever win. What the players went through, no other player, and I don't care what era you talk about, and the era of yesteryear was far tougher when my grandfather played, when Ty Cobb played, when Babe Ruth played. They that, That's when men played. That's where you got thrown at and you had no helmet on. That's where you went spikes high going into second base to break up a double play. That's when real men played. And you played in cotton uniforms. You rode trains. Nobody was making millions of dollars. Nobody had agents. But what this championship meant, when you've got to be in COVID protocol and these guys are getting tested every single day. I've been tested twice. How many times, Cody, how many times have you been tested? It's a little different for me, but it's like um, since pre-vaccination, probably like seven or eight times I got tested okay. just for they peace got of mind. Tested, they got tested every day. So a lot of people don't know this. But the A's, 
because we're not ratings getters and neither are the Chicago White Sox and we're playing what our, our games are what at one o'clock those guys are getting there like at 6 a.m to get tested baseball players getting up at 6 a.m are you serious that happens in spring training that hat doesn't happen during the year our players had to get there super early then when we went to LA we were essentially in a lockdown these guys were in a bubble like really really a bubble and the same thing so it was the Astros it was us and San Diego was it was the Rays and who they play the Yankees the Yankees so they were in a bubble and the Rays like you look back on it it's kind of crazy the Rays they end up flying to Texas to take on the Dodgers in the World Series and they hadn't seen people they'd had no fans in the stands there in you know cuz they played they did their deal where they're taking on the AL East and the NL East same way we were doing the AL West and uh, the ALE in the uh, AL West Tampa never saw people and all of a sudden now they're playing and they talk about how it dramatically affected them the Los Angeles Dodgers were in Arlington Texas for weeks if you don't think that's a legit championship to be the team at the end that wins it all, and don't forget, you had a player who tested positive for COVID during the last game. Justin Turner, we we remember the whole deal. He tested positive. If you if you think the Dodgers are a Mickey Mouse championship team, you're an idiot. Because you have no, this is literally one of the toughest. I And I said it as we were going into the postseason. Whoever wins this thing, man, you are a tough team. These guys were basically forced to stay in their rooms and couldn't go anywhere. You, as a, as, as a, United States citizen, you could go to the grocery store. And I know we were all on pretty much lockdown here in the Bay Area, but you could go. I could go play golf. There's, I mean, I could go do things. They couldn't. They literally sat in their rooms and had meals delivered to them, and they couldn't leave. If you don't think winning that championship was the real deal, you, you you have no idea what you're talking about. There's no other team in the history of baseball who won a World Series that had to go through what the Dodgers went through or the Rays. And I give the Rays all the credit in the world. You know, there's no team. Like, that's embarrassing if people would say that. Now, you can hate the Dodgers all you want if you're a Giants fan. I get it. But if, if you don't think they paid the price... If you don't think they did what they did last year and it's not legit, you should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah, I, I knew that the, every time I hear people say that, I immediately think of you and, and all the talks that we've had about that championship. And 
when I heard when I heard someone say, "Well, you know, the Giants did it the right way. They went. We went through legendary teams. Yes, because when I think of legendary teams, I think of the 2012 Detroit Tigers. How many World Series did they win? None. How many World Series did the 2010 Rangers win? None. Yes, the Royals won the World Series the next year, but the, I wouldn't think of the 2014 Royals as a legendary team. Yes, I, I'm putting Eric Eric Hosmer in the Hall of Fame. Stop. You didn't beat legendary teams. Beating a legendary team is beating the 70s A's or beating the Yankees of the of the 1930s they or 50s. Beat the Texas Rangers. What's legendary about beating the Texas Rangers? That's what I mean. Exactly. You beat Nelson Cruz and Elvis. Bad Cincinnati Reds team. I mean, you want to go through who you really beat? Like, uh, seriously. Yeah, it wasn't like they went through a gauntlet of, of good teams. Yeah, no, they were always under, you know, the underdog in those playoffs. Now, they're uh, as, as people have mentioned, they're the, actually the – well – they have 107 wins. They're actually not an underdog going in the playoffs, although those people will still tell you they're the underdog in that series. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm excited about this series, though. I think that this seeing Dodgers-Giants in the playoffs is going to be exciting because I'm so tired of seeing Yankees-Red Sox as a West Coast person and even as an East Coast, you know, growing up on the East Coast. I didn't – listening to Yankees-Red Sox was awesome on the radio. Okay, first of all, you grew up in the Midwest. Western Pennsylvania is Midwest. Uh, it's debatable. It's not East Coast. You're sent. What time zone are you in? Eastern. You shouldn't be. Uh, what, do you, what do you mean? Detroit's in the Eastern time zone. And yeah, well, that that that's because auto dealerships and Wall Street. That has nothing to do with where they are. It's because of business, by the way. Um, Ohio's in the Eastern time zone too. Western Pennsylvania should be Central time zone. I mean, you're you're not getting a complaint from me. I wouldn't mind. The, whatever the time difference never really made a difference to me. But this the Dodgers Giants is going to be a great series. And uh, right now we got a. Uh, go ahead. What is it? Well, I mean, I'm on paper. It looks like it's going to be a great series. Is it? See, I wonder. You know, you bring in a team that has the kind of talent that the Dodgers have, and they had to go through a one game playoff. They've won the division eight straight years. Obviously, didn't win it this year. But now you've put you've put a group of players through adversity, and now they're coming. Is this really going to be a good series? Because I, I can tell you right now, I think all giant all, all of our friends who are giant fans, I think they know. Uh oh. Uh oh's coming. And they got Walker Bueller on the mound tonight. Who? pitches really well against the Giants. I think they all know uh-oh is coming to the ballpark. I don't think this is going to be much of a series. Wow, shots, and, shots fired. And, and I'll tell you this. I know that because they're built how we've been built. You're built on the home run. What happens when you don't hit home runs? You lose. So if the ball's not going out of the ballpark, how do you win? Simple question. If the ball is not going out of the ballpark for the Giants, how do they beat the Dodgers? Yeah, they're not, it's not like they're a small ball team like they were back in the early 2010s when they they're, were. They're, they're built. The Giants hit a ton of home runs. No, they're they're set, built to hit home runs. Second. How do they win if they don't hit home runs? It's gonna be it. That's that's the question they need to figure out because if you're right, Lamont Wade Jr. can't come up and drive in runs in the ninth inning every single game for you like he has this year. 
real quick in the Astros White Sox game. They they took out Lucas Giolito and brought in Crochet to face Jordan Alvarez. He walked and bases loaded with one out for the Astros in the in the bottom of the fifth. Trouble brewing for the White Sox right now. Mike Petriello from MLB.com and MLB Network will join us next right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course. One of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. You know, Cody, I got to get a chain like Guriel has. I mean, the big fat rope, gold (laughs) chain. So he's he's pretty. He has a lot of swag too. Not like the White Sox and Padres have, but. Unlike them, the Astros have actually won something, so he can wear that. But How good would I look, though, with that big, fat chain? Uh, I kind of want to see it now, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> do, do I have – I think I have I think I have an idea for your birthday gift now, or maybe even Christmas. <laughs> well, if, if people don't know, I do dress up as the Riddler on Halloween. That's a good – that's actually going to be a good idea to get the chain for that. Yeah, Spirit uh, Halloween store. I went in years ago. It was like the day after and everything was off. And I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm doing it. And I actually do have, I, I do have the costume. Do we have Mike? Mike, how are you? Chris Townsend with the A's. Hey, Chris, I'm wonderful. How are you? I was just telling the story how I actually have a Riddler costume that I wear every Halloween. And I decorate my house big. It's already decorated. And uh, I have a graveyard out in front of my lawn, the whole deal. Uh, I I go big for Halloween. What is the holiday you go big for? Well, traditionally in my family, we've always been a Thanksgiving family. But that's changed now because now I have two small kids and I live in Brooklyn. And they are all about Halloween. We have a giant spider outside my house right now. Oh, I literally have like 25 tombstones. I have a haunted forest I've got stuff hanging from my trees. Like I go in all in on Halloween because my wife wants like an elegant Christmas. So I can't be tacky uh, like I can for Halloween. But uh, I love to hear that. Halloween to me is the best. Well, especially when you have kids who are six and two, you know, the two-year-old is like finally super into it. She's going to be Peppa Pig, which means I have to be daddy pig. It's going to be a whole thing. Like my wife thought I was crazy. I'm like, I have the, I have a suit. It's the, it, it's the Riddler suit. I have the jacket. I got the pants. I got the tie, the whole thing. And then I walk my kids around to trick or treat every year. We have a blast. Looking forward to it. Should be fun. We have a parade here every year. So when, when, when you think about this time of year, right, it's like baseball, it's football. I mean, NBA and NHL are going to start. Just how great a time of the year is this? for us people who love this game of baseball and it's postseason time. Well, if there is football or basketball happening right now, um, somebody will have to tell me about it because October is all baseball all the time. I mean, especially today, right? I mean, you're going to have like 11 and a half straight hours of baseball games because all four series are going on 
you know, back to back to back to back. That's super cool. And the games so far have been fun. Um, but this is it, man. I mean, like you think about last year, the 60 game season and the playoffs that were, you know, fun, but not quite the same. And this, this feels like the same, you know, this feels like the playoffs the way it had been for a number of years. And that is a really nice feeling. You know, when I think about, you know, great teams and teams that you don't, you don't want to play, uh, we're seeing it right now. They've tied it up down there in Houston. Uh, we know all about the Astros. Just, just talk about how the Astros are no day at the beach. Well, you know, I think a lot of people would be very happy to see the Astros lose for obvious reasons, but that sort of overlooks how good of a team they are. I mean, yet again, they had the lowest strikeout rate in baseball, but it's not just about making uh, contact, it's about making good contact because they also had, you know, a, t- a top five slugging percentage. They are a really deep lineup to the, fact, the point that uh, hitting seventh is Kyle Tucker, who had a breakout season this year, and he's hitting seventh for them. And then the pitching staff's a little more anonymous because Zach Greinke didn't have a good year and he's not in the rotation. And yeah, people know Lance McCullers, but you know they don't really know from Valdez. They don't know you know Jose Arquiti or Luis Garcia or some of these other guys. And they're really good. Like it's a much better pitching staff than you'd think. And you know we are one and a half games into the series with them against Chicago right now. And the White Sox, who had a pretty good year, look completely overmatched. You know, like the the Astros seem like they're going to get through this one pretty easily. And then maybe move on to play the Rays if that's what it comes down to. That should be fun. You know, the final game of the season was us against the Astros. And the way Dusty Baker took out Carlos Correa and he kind of had his, like, walk-off moment. I mean, I can't imagine them losing this guy. Like, why would you not want to have him on your team? What do you think the future is for the, uh, the Astros shortstop? Well, I think he would like to be back. I think he was unhappy with the offer they had given him uh, a year or two ago, you know, somewhat somewhat lower than he expected. And to his credit, you know, he went out and had a pretty good contract year. You know, there's a lot of guys who didn't, like Michael Conforto, for example, did not have a good year. I think that's really going to hurt him. Um, but, you know, Correa did. And if you look at all the shortstops, like we've been talking for about three years, right? This is going to be the vaunted shortstop free agency class. And it's like, well, Lindor is signed, so he's no longer there. Trevor Story didn't have a great year. I still like him very much, but he didn't have a fantastic year. Javi Baez has been super up and down. Like he's he was good when he was with the Mets, but there's still a ton of questions about you know his strikeout rate and if he's still the same guy. Uh, and then Marcus Simeon had a fantastic year, but he was playing second base, so there's questions about whether he'll go back to shortstop. So you take all that, and it's like Carlos Correa is in a great spot. He had a great year. He's going to get like a 250 million dollar contract on, I don't know, for the Yankees. I forgot to mention Corey Seager as well, who's in that mix. The Yankees seem like a great fit. Uh, the Cardinals, I don't know where he'll go. The Tigers would be super interesting because A.J. Hinch is there, and they seem like they're finally in a position with their young players to make some moves. I don't know where he's going to be, but he is in the best spot, I think, of all these shortstops. You know, when you start thinking about, like, rivals playing each other in the postseason, and we think about how many times in our lifetime that we've seen – Red Sox up against the Yankees. I was kind of shocked, even though I, I I live in the Bay Area, for God's sakes, and I've covered the Giants at, at certain points in my career. I'm just shocked that these these two rivals really, you know, especially coming out West, have never met each other in the postseason. Were you shocked by that? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I grew up a Dodger fan, so I have watched much of that closely, but they're never really good at the same time. You yeah. know, and even when the Giants were winning those titles, uh, at least one of them, I can't remember if it was more than one, but at least one came as the wild card, you know, in a year that the Dodgers weren't winning the division because 
obviously the Dodgers have been very good for a long time, but in the early part of the the, uh, the century, which is you know really the only time they could have met because the wild card is there, the Dodgers were not very good for a while. You know they had their moments in like 08, 09, and then the whole uh, ownership fiasco scotched the next couple of years. But th- that is like an important caveat you have to say, right? It's like oh they haven't met in the playoffs and they've been around for 150 years. It's like okay, but without the wild card, you you couldn't have met in the playoffs for how many of those years? So surprisingly, it hasn't happened in the last 15 years. Um, a little bit, but I'm super excited to start watching it tonight. So are, are you saying as a Dodger fan, you're not happy of the uh, Frank McCourt era? <laughs> you know what I can tell you with complete honesty is my baseball writing career started in 2007 as a Dodger blogger. That's what I did. I fired up a blog and I started writing about the Dodgers. And even though the team wasn't very good in the first couple of years, having that kind of fiasco to write about was just like the most perfect kind of content. There was never boring. It wasn't always fun, but there was always some kind of ridiculousness uh, to write about. And that kind of worked out well for me. Yeah, it was such a bizarre story because like, like, didn't he make his money off like parking lots? And like, it was like, it was bizarre how he got this money and then he takes over the Dodgers. It, it, it was a strange deal. Yeah, classic rich person move by the by something with somebody else's money or debt, you know, and then um, once the the marriage went south, I mean, if you go back and look at some of the stories, oh, um, they're God. hilarious in a lot of ways because it's like, oh, they're spending this much on, you know, extra apartments and and you know daily hairstyling, and now we're gonna pay this like Russian faith healer to send good energy towards the team and just a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, it was a it, it was no question a bizarre deal. Um, when you think about that, you know, five games, Giants, Dodgers, I, you know, for, I, you know, a lot of my buddies up here, Giants fans, they're afraid. And I, I mean, when you think about LA who won eight straight divisions, all the talent won the world series, and then now you give them a little adversity and they play through the wild card game. I, I just, I, I'm, t- I'm telling you that as an A's guy, I wouldn't want to be facing the Dodgers right now. I can tell you there's no favorite in this series. I know the, the Giants won the division, and obviously immense credit to them for doing so. It's going to be one of the greatest stories in baseball history if they go and win the World Series this year. But they won the, the division by one game. And if you look at the head-to-head matchup this year, uh, it was 10-9. And I believe the run score difference was two. It was like you know 80-78 to 78 or something like that. It is really difficult to find an edge on either side here. Like I like the Giants or the Dodgers starting pitching a little bit better, um, but not that much really. And I just think that, you know, you look at how these teams are constructed. uh, Maybe the paths there were different, but the viewpoints were similar. Like the Giants hired Farhan Zaidi out of the Dodgers system and Gabe Kapler was a finalist for the Dodgers managerial job that Dave Roberts got. And Dave Roberts played for the Giants at one point. There's a lot of similarities here, even if, you know, they don't necessarily have had the same path. Like the the Giants are not spent in the same way the Dodgers have had. Um, but the fact that, you know, both teams lost their starting first base in the injuries at about the same time, um, both teams still have some legends of, of past successes, like obviously Crawford and Posey, for the Giants, but the Dodgers still have uh, Kershaw always hurt, but you know he's still on the team. And Kenley Jansen's been around forever. There's a lot of there's a lot of mirror imaging going on here. You know, and, and then you think, and I know our fans know, but you know whether there's National League fans, they 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 don't realize how good the Rays are. Uh, just break down the Rays when you think about them as a postseason matchup, and that 
they're just really a team you you, you don't want to play. The Rays are hilarious because if you were a let's say a casual baseball fan or even just a National League focused fan, and you were to look at the roster, the pitching roster of the Rays, you would be so confused. You would say, "Oh, I, I kind of re- remember uh, Colin McHugh, you know, from when he was on the uh, Astros." But uh, Shane McClanahan, Shane Shane Boz, who are these guys? They, they Luis Patino is that is that somebody they traded for? Nobody knows these guys unless you're following it closely. But they're so good. I mean, I don't know if you saw McClanahan pitch last night. He looked absolutely dominant. Shane Boz has, for the last couple of years, been like the other guy in that Chris Archer trade that set the Pirates back by 70 years because they got Glasnow and they got Meadows. And they also got Shane Boz, who's pitching tonight. And he's looked incredible. And then on the offensive side, you know, yes, they strike out a ton. Uh, but it's not just Randy Arozarena. Wander Franco is a 20-year-old shortstop. And at the end of this postseason, he's going to be talked about in the same breath as Juan Soto and Vlad Jr. and Fernando Tatis. Like that, that is how good he is. And I think this is going to be a coming out party for him this, this October. A Rosarena has 11 home runs in 21 postseason games. I mean, he's like Babe Ruth in the postseason. It's unbelievable. Now, you know what? I don't think Babe Ruth ever stole home. I know he tried to end a World Series with a stolen base, but I don't think he ever did a straight steal at home like that. That is one of the most fun and exciting plays I think I've ever seen. And I spent way too much time last night trying to think through what would have happened if the pitcher, instead of stepping off, because that makes you an infielder at that point, if he just continued his pitching motion, there's two strikes and two outs. Can you throw a strike there and negate that run? I don't actually know what the rule would be, but that, that's what I spent a lot of time thinking about. Yeah, you just, I mean, you just look at Tampa and just you just realize that they're gamers. There's something about them that w- when, you know, you, you get into the postseason, you're not going to match up well against them. I mean, did you give Boston any chance in the series? I mean, they're too talented to say no chance. You know, they've got Chris Sale starting tonight. They've got Bogarts and Devers, and there's obviously a lot of very good players and a lot of recent success. But also, no, I don't. <laughs> the Rays are that good. I mean, the Rays won 100 games. You know, the Red Sox have a lot of flaws. They've had a big up and down season. Big questions in the bullpen. Big questions with Chris Sale, honestly. I mean, he just missed two years. And he's looked okay since he's come back. You know, not great. And this Rays roster is relentless. It's similar to the Giants without, without having, like, you know, the, the big names like Posey and Crawford. In that they're just so deep. There's no stars and scrubs here. This is just pure depth up and down the lineup. You know, Kevin Cash is one of the best managers in baseball, if not the best, and he's just going to keep on throwing out these guys you've never heard of to get strikeouts. Um, I really do think we're going to see the Rays move on. And honestly, we might see a Rays-Giants World Series. How fun would that be? Well, that'd be interesting. And I, then I think of two teams that, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm an American League guy, so I, I only watch so much Brewers-Braves. But both these teams see, seem scary to me. We had Ron Washington uh, our old friend Wash on the program the other day. They're very confident. How do you see Brewers Braves? That's the closest. Well, I shouldn't say that. Giants Dodgers is the closest one, clearly. But otherwise, I do think this is a pretty close matchup because the Brewers have the best starting rotation, I believe, of any team still alive in the playoffs. Not enough people know how good Corbin Burns is. Brandon Woodruff is obviously very good. Freddie Peralta, I think, is super underrated. And even though they lost Devin Williams to injury, it's not like they don't still have Josh Hader and a couple of other guys who are really good. I don't know what to make of their offense. Their offense is poor. I mean, Yelich has not been the same guy. Lorenzo Cain has not been the same guy. Jackie Bradley, who I've long been a big fan of, had had this year legitimately one of the weakest hitting years uh, in baseball history. So 
I have a lot of concerns about that. Like, is Rowdy Telez going to be the guy to come up with a big hit? Eduardo Escobar? I'm not sure. So that's their weakness pretty clearly. On the other side, I like the Braves, uh, the top of their lineup, you know, very much. Like, Jorge Soler hitting leadoff is a non-traditional choice, to say the least, right? Like, for how many years, you know, going back to the 1800s, did you see a leadoff guy? It's like, well, he's a shortstop or center fielder, and he's small, and he's fast. Well, Jorge Soler is none of those things. He's a large, powerful, slugging man. And he's hitting leadoff, and it's it's working, you know, because he does a decent job getting on base. And obviously Riley and Freeman, like the top half of that lineup, it's really good. I don't trust their bullpen at all. That's the thing. Like I like Morton, and I like uh, you know Ian Anderson in the rotation and Max Freed, but I don't trust their bullpen at all. And I can't really think of the last time uh, a team with a bullpen I didn't trust made noise, with the exception of the 2019 Nationals just putting their starters into the bullpen and making the whole train out of the starters. <laughs> Hey, you mentioned Morton. By the way, Charlie Morton recently in postseason has been a monster. He's been incredible. He has been fantastic, and it's it's been a bunch of years now, you know, and he's kind of one of these modern guys where trying to be a sinker baller with Pittsburgh all those years ago, and then one day he's like, well, I'm just going to start throwing hard, and then he did. And then Houston and Tampa Bay both told him, also, your curveball is great. You should throw it a lot, and he did. And he's been fantastic, and he's still here kicking around. You know, it's it's funny. Like, every time I hear people uh, try to praise the Rays for saying, look how good they are on a somewhat limited payroll, and that's true, credit to the front office for making the best of what their owners give them. But also, wouldn't they look better if they still had Charlie Morton? Because <laughs> Charlie Morton's really good. Yeah, I know. Like, like you look back and go, what what were you thinking there? You didn't cost that much money. Hey, you you, you know, once we get done with all this and the CBA is going to be up, I, I, I just I, I want to think for all of us that work in Major League Baseball that there's so much money out there to be made that these guys should be smart and realize let's just figure out how to how to how to how to all share it because there is billions of dollars out there. What are you hearing with the CBA and the potential negotiations? Well, I can tell you what's going to happen, I think. So the CBA expires December 1st, right? And I would say with like 95% certainty, there will not be a new agreement by December 1st. And when that expires, it will be reported and treated like gloom and doom. The next season is over. You know, you can go do something else. That's not really the way it works, though. You can come to an agreement at any point you want. It doesn't have to be, there's no deadline that it has to be by the time this one ends. And that won't happen. And what I think will happen is we'll have something of a bummer of a winter, because I don't think anyone's going to sign any contracts while this is up in the air. And then this will get resolved, I don't know, the beginning of February and spring training will get pushed back and maybe the season will get pushed back by like a week. But I'm not super worried that we're going to miss the season or anything. I just think it's going to be painful to get there. Yeah, because my theory is this. All the top players, other than like Juan Soto, who's so young, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., these guys are really young. Everybody else has contract extensions. Like, why would these guys not want to make their money? And why are they going to fight for 34, 35-year-old free agents? That, 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 that's a yesteryear. That stuff doesn't happen anymore. I don't know why all these young players making all this money would say, yeah, I, yeah let's fight not have a season. It doesn't make sense. Well, what they should be fighting for is to make more money sooner. You know, it's kind of yeah, it, it's not great that Juan, Juan Soto, who is, you know, if not already the best hitter in baseball, pretty close. 
you know, is making something, you know, not the minimum, I guess, but whatever he's making an arbitration upcoming. I think that's what you have to do. You're never going to get back to the time where you know, Albert Pujols gets however much he got as an aging first baseman. That that time is never coming back. You know, so you have to figure out a new way to do it. Hey, great stuff as always. We we appreciate it. Enjoy the postseason. Let's talk soon. Thanks, Chris. Take care. Mike Petriello, one of the best from MLB.com and MLB Network. I don't think, by the way, Commander, I, I, I don't think it even goes to that. Like, if, if I'm an owner, do I not want to make all that money? Think about that. Like, what do you, like a CBA and pushing stuff back, you're making less money. And I think as a player, like what, like literally you don't play, you don't get paid. So I just like, I think a lot of people are going to say a lot of big, bold things, but in the end it is what it is. It's like, there's too much money to be made. You're, you're literally insane as an owner or a player to, to, to say, we're not going to have games. You're losing money. You're losing an extreme amount of money. Didn't we learn last year? Didn't we learn? Why, why did we play last year? You've got a pandemic. There's people that are dying. It's sad. Everybody's getting tested. Everybody's going through the motions. Why did we play last year? Why did we play 60 games? Um. Well, I always thought, you know, I thought it was to be a distraction, but because oh, real oh oh the, oh oh, yeah, you think yeah, that? No, why? I, oh, no, okay. it's because you wanted to get the the TV money, and you wanted to you wanted to make money. You wanted the national TV money, and you don't get the national TV money unless you play the World Series. So you're damn right we were getting a season in. You're damn right we're going to have the postseason, and we're definitely going to play the World Series. Why? Because it's about making money. Players got paid. Owners got paid. That's why I'm not buying this whole doom and gloom thing. What do you have? What do you have to gain? Like, 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 like literally, if I, if I could talk to Tony Clark, who is the head of the players union, your players are all making a ton of money. They're making record amounts of money. What are you going to sit out for? What do you have to gain? And then I'd say the owners, same thing. Like, you've got record revenue coming in. Now, obviously, for these owners, this is kind of like a, um, I mean, how do you want to put it? This is not, this is not like the yesteryear owners. These aren't men and women and families who this is their business. This is a side hustle, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're dealing with the wealthiest people in the country, owning a baseball team, owning an NBA team. Like, like this is just like, this is a part of your portfolio. This is not your number one gig. This is just something that that is a part of your family that you own and and go forward with. But it's a lot of money. 
There's a lot of money to be made. That's why I just, I, I, I just, I, I, I don't see anybody going, hey, you know what? We're walking away and we're like, what, what are you doing? Like, if you don't have people going, did you see what the NHL did when they canceled a season? They've never been the same. They've never been the same. And right now, our country, people don't want to hear about millionaires and billionaires fighting each other. They don't want to hear it. So what you need to do is privately work out a deal. Don't leak anything. Keep Scott Boris out of it. Don't leak anything to the media and just say, this is the this is the pie. This is what we make. This is what everybody gets. And let's move forward. That's the best thing you could do for our game. Because if you think you're going to get into some fight, if there's anything that the media loves to do, they love to rip baseball. The media loves to get, to, you know, these are the problems. These are the issues. These are, they'll get all into that. And at the same time, while you want to get, you, you, you really want to have labor strife and go against the NFL at the same time. How do you win on that? Because if you don't get a deal done by December, that's the, the, they'll be camping out in New York, ripping baseball. It's not smart. Good business would be get the deals done and away we go. Right, Cody? That makes sense. I mean, everybody's making money. It's like protecting the Albert Pujols deal. Like, what are we talking about? I agree with Mike. Let's pay these guys earlier. I have no problem with that. Let's pay these guys when they're in their 20s because that's when they're at their best. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think that there's no reason for them not to come to an agreement. And there should be no reason why we don't have a season that starts on time and spring training that starts on time. And Juan Soto is going to get paid. Don't worry about him. He's. You think I, he's going to be okay? I, I, as I mentioned to you before, Spotrack had him as potentially the first $500 million player. I think he's going to be okay. So with all these players and so what, you're, so what you're saying, you're going on record right now, saying you're not worried about his finances long term. Uh, no, I, I think he'll. I think I think he's gonna have a nice little career. Uh, already, he's already had a nice little career. I mean, I, you know, the, the comparisons to Ted Williams are interesting. I mean, if you want to look at the numbers, they're there. So his his grandchildren's grandchildren will not have to worry about money. Yeah, no, he, he's gonna be fine and. I I have the Brewer I have the Brewers uh, Braves game on because it's not on on TBS so please don't try to switch because I I know you had trouble getting the MLB Network game on so uh, I I am locked in right now uh, you know who's on first base in uh, the Astros Your French Cuban oh <laughs> Luis Robert yeah so I'm I'm locked in on uh, Astros yeah against the White Sox so Corbin Jose Abreu is up again. With our guy Ryan Stanek on the mound, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Correct. The flowing hair is beautiful, by the way. Corbin Burns walked the first two batters of the game against the Braves, and they were on they were on first and third, and then they hit a uh, they, uh, I forget who someone hit a screamer to first. Roddy Telez picked it up, tagged first, and threw home, and it was a three one double play. And then the next pitch, I think he struck the next guy out, so he got out of it without allowing a run. And then now Charlie Morton's on the mound. 
Uh, Morton's been awesome in the postseason. Imagine if the Astros still had Charlie Morton in their pitching staff. They lost him and Garrett Cole, and they don't have Verlander, and they replaced him with a bunch of homegrown kids and guys, and look, they're right back there again. So it's just incredible showing that you don't need, you know, you don't need to have a, you know, sign the biggest name pitchers on the planet uh, looking at you Yankees to be a consistent team every single year. The Astros are showing you don't need to do that. Yeah, they traded right, for Zach yeah, Greinke. Can, can you imagine if Charlie Morton was still on the Astros? Yeah, wow. and, I mean, and Greinke's not even in the rotation. Can you imagine if Verlander didn't have Tommy John? I mean, it'd be. You know, there was a there was a. I, I didn't text you it last night because I was trying to wait and see if more people put it out. But one of the hosts there in Houston sent a tweet out yesterday, and again, unlike you, I believe everything I see on Twitter. One of the hosts in, down there in Houston, uh, I'll pull up his name. Um, apparently Verlander was supposed to throw out the first pitch yesterday with Mattress Mac. And apparently the, what the tweet said. The mattress, yes, because we see that behind home plate. <laughs> so he was supposed to throw out the first pitch. Yeah. And basically, here's what the tweet said. His, the guy's name is John Granado. Uh, Justin Verlander was supposed to throw out the first pitch with Mattress Mac, but the players went to Crane, that's Jim Crane, the owner, and told him they didn't want him to because he hasn't been there all year. No reason to spotlight him now. Now, this is coming on when Jim Crane said yesterday they're probably going to give Verlander the qualifying offer in the offseason. That's interesting if this is true. I I haven't seen no one else talk about it. I didn't see Rosenthal, anyone say anything. It's just this one guy, John Granato, who he works for, 97.5, 97.5, uh, ESPN 97.5 in Houston. Now, he has 18,000 followers. He's not verified, but he tweeted this out, and I saw no one else pick it up, but I saw someone. Wait a minute. You're seeing that the players for the Astros said, hey, Verlander hasn't been here all year long. He's not a part of us. Yeah, so why are we showcasing him now? That's what they did. So, essentially, they didn't want him to throw out the first pitch. Wow, that is shots fired right there. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see if anything comes out of it. Man. So, how do you bring him back? I, I don't think you, you can. We'll see, though. We'll see what they do. Unbelievable. That is uh, that is very tough. David Force, the general manager of our Oakland Athletics. David, how are you? What's up, Chris? How you doing? Uh, the start of the postseason. I mean, normally we're used to being in this thing. Uh, obviously <laughs> not. But uh, what is it like for you? How, how, how do you watch the postseason? Well, it it depends on the year. I mean, a, a year like this where we're not in it at all, it actually makes it a little easier to watch. You have a little more time to prepare. I know the last three years, once we were knocked out, it takes a little while to uh, for me to get back to watching it, but uh, obviously this was a year where we had a little more time to accept the fact that we're not still playing, and uh, I've actually watched quite a bit. I watched most of the, the two wildcard games and sitting here watching the White Sox and Astros right now, so um, kind of you know doing my scouting and, and seeing what I can find out about other clubs. Are, are you like me? I'm watching the same game. I'm miserable. I I, I hate this. I just I just I like I'm like I'm like when I hear about Giants Dodgers I'm like and I don't mean to be that guy but it's like I you know I joke I root for injuries I just I just hate like it's just it's, it's certain teams I can't stand this is really tough for us because we're so used to you know at least being in it this is brutal yeah I, I know I know what you mean and I there. Are, 
there are certain teams or certain players I, you know, we can't help but feel that way about. And, and yeah, there's, there are some times where I definitely have that, but um, like I said, we, you know, we've known now for a little while that we weren't going to be playing and, and we sort of shifted our focus to the off season of next year. So, it's, it, you know, the games are on in the background there. You know, I don't have to have a, a real strong rooting interest one way or another, though, uh, I kind of wish that grand all line drive got over Tucker's head there, but, um, <laughs> but not not to reveal my rooting interest in this series. But um, no, nah, but you know, I, I actually I actually don't mind watching right now. But I, like I said, I totally get feeling that way, and I'm sure there are a lot of East fans out there feel the same way too. They, as far as they're concerned, the baseball season ended on Sunday, and they can't understand why there's still games on their TV. All right, so for us, San Jose State Spartans. Fresno State is the worst rival. We can't stand them. I even told my kids, if you go to Fresno State, I will not pay for that education. You can go anywhere else. So for Harvard, I'm, I'm glad to see you. I'm glad to see you've grown up since college. So. <laughs> you have no idea what I did on Valentine's Day back in the day pitching at at, at Fresno State. So for Harvard, <laughs> is it Yale is your your biggest rival? It is. Yeah. It's definitely, yeah, although it's complicated somewhat by the fact that my, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law both went there. So Ooh. there's uh you know, there's a, a longstanding uh, text rivalry, but uh, yes, but our Fresno state is yell. And that to me is, is, is the Astros. Like I can't get over it. Like I, 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 I don't know how to get over it. Like I, I just, it, it, it is what it is. So uh, I'm rooting for our old yeah, friend. It, it is. It is. Yeah, I, I think most most of us and, and certainly A's fans feel that way about the Astros considering the last four or five years going head to head. But, you know, it wasn't always that way. I'm sure at the time people felt that way about the Angels or, or even the Mariners. So it 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 shifts for us. And, and look, everybody feels that way about the Giants, I'm guessing. So, uh, hey, that's, you know, that's part of the game. It's nice to have people to root against. You know, when I think about what you guys did this year to help this team, and, you know, I mentioned that uh, last week when we knew we were going to talk to you, just just take us through what, what that trading deadline was like, and, and you, you clearly went out and helped this ball club as much as you could help them, but you were, you were going up against a bunch of different buyers. Remember we joked about arms instead of Home Depot, Arms Depot. Everybody's looking <laughs> for pitching. Everybody just just take us through what that was like in your career. Yeah, it was. I mean, look, looking back on it, I think we're we're really proud of the work that our group did at the deadline. Uh, obviously, you know, everything this season, you know, leads up to the point where we. we just couldn't quite get over that hump. But but when you sort of step back and, and look at the the process and the work that went into the deadline and, and landing landing those four guys, you know, and all four of them, Starling, Josh, Gomes, Chafin, like all those guys were so critical in keeping us in it up until the last three days of the season. And it's hard to imagine where we really would have been in August and September without them. So, uh, you know, mostly you feel like, um, our baseball ops group, our analysts, our you know, like all the guys getting information for me and Dan and Billy to try and make deals that did such a great job. And, um, you know, it just, it just wasn't quite enough to get over the hump, but yeah, I mean, you, you, we talked about it in, in July, you're, you're up against, you know, 12, 15 other teams who were buyers teams with, you know, more money to spend on contracts and, 
at this point in our sort of cycle, probably, you know, more prospects to move. And we had to, you know, we had to battle against that. And I think all things considered, I think uh, the four guys we brought, you know, couldn't have been more impactful. What was that like when there's so much wheeling and dealing going on? You have a true hard deadline. I mean, obviously, you're on the phone. Dan's on the phone. And Billy's, I mean, everybody's on the phone. You know, Billy Owen, everybody's on the phone. Just take us through that process, what that was like, because players were flying all over the board. It was unbelievable. Yeah, that last morning was was pretty chaotic. It's It's a lot of fun, to be honest. I mean, I think those are kind of the days you you look forward to i mean there's a lot of stress built in but it's also fun to to try and execute and make those deals and it's a little bit like cool like the first round or two of the draft it's a you know a little bit like the the off season you know there are times when there you know there's momentum for deals and and that's kind of the the exciting part of the job so it, it was i mean i had you know looking back on that that morning of the i think it was a friday morning the 30th Looking back, you know, I'm on the phone. Texts are coming in from other GMs, from from Billy. What you know, his update from his end. You know, I think, you know, he dealt with he dealt with Mike Rizzo and the Nationals making the the deal for Gomes and Harrison. I you know I had made the deal with Kimming before that, trying to you know getting the Cubs deal done, dealing with Jed, Dan's dealing with other clubs. There, you know, there were a number of deals that we talked about that didn't get done. But you're you're certainly multitasking and and trying to fit all the pieces together years ago i'm in the f lot at the coliseum talking to billy and i had my twins in the car at the time and they were they were really young and just the just the thought of billy talking about do you realize how hard this job is and i have so much respect for you and what you've done in your career, because I've watched you grow in your career. We've all grown, by the way, in our careers together. Mm-hmm. Um, but people, I don't think, realize how to, to be the GM of the Oakland Athletics and to get things done and to win, because you never punt. That's something I, I respect so much about you, is you're never going to punt. You're always about winning, and how do we, you know, we may give up some guys, but you know what? We're trying to win today. Just, just talk about as a professional executive. This isn't an easy job, but you're always about winning. Well, I appreciate the the kind words, Chris. Yeah, it's um, you know some years are, are more fun than others. Some years there's more success, but it's always it's always a fun challenge. It's always exciting to be involved. You know, working with a, a great group, and I mean that's the thing about about being with the A's, and you you look at the people that, that surround me and Billy. And I, I already mentioned Dan a couple of times, you know, there's no one I'd, I'd rather have, you know, working here, but you know, Ed Sprague, Eric Kubota, Billy Owens, Keith Lippman, uh, all these people who've been here and are so critical in, in what we do. Um, and then the group, you know, the group we have here in Oakland, which has kind of been one of the harder parts of the last two years and not being in the office and not getting sort of that, that camaraderie and that team feeling of being around our baseball operations group on a day-to-day basis and having to do this job remotely has been, has been different, but it's, um, it's been a lot of fun and, and trying to win every year is like you said, it's what we've always been about. And it's what Billy taught me when I started here and we make the most of what we have and try and put the best product on the field. So I don't think we just don't know any other way to do it. And, And some years, are better than others. Some years we come up short, 
Um, but the challenge is always there and it always, it makes this time of year exciting when you go into the off season and, and hopefully have some, something to work with. You know, right now we've got a great, great foundation of players and a good core and, and we'll see, you know, we'll see what this looks like when we get back to Phoenix in February, but there's always, there's always opportunity out there. Yeah, you think about the relationships in this organization and obviously Steve Vucinich, who's leaving us and, you know, going out uh, on his own after 54 years and truly one of the greatest A's of all time and is going to be a Hall of Famer. Then I think of Mickey Morabito and I think about these people that have been in our lives for all these years. Just talk about as the head of an organization what it's like, these relationships. We think Pam Pitts, you think of the people that have been here for so long. It, it, it really is unique in professional sports. I think so. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think you look at the tenure of a number of people around here, and I think it's it's something that doesn't exist in in the majority of places. And, and we were reminded a lot this season, of, you know, with Bruce's sort of uh, – victory lap I think Billy called it Vusa Palooza the last few weeks because there was there was so much boost content out there but you're again you're reminded of sort of the roots of the the people in this organization and and as many times as I've heard a lot of Vusa's stories you just you still sort of sit back in awe and, and think about the things that he has seen in that clubhouse and I know that picture of him and Joe DiMaggio was out there a lot the last couple of weeks but I mean, think about that. Like this guy was here when Joe DiMaggio was a coach for, for the A's. <laughs> Colonel Sanders um, from KFC. I know. It's <laughs> may, and you know, and and the, the Billy Martin years, and you know, and Tony managing, and then all all the different eras that he's seen. Everything that sort of defines Oakland A's baseball, and all the things that we you know we talk about and and aspire to. So it it, it was a lot of fun to be around. Uh, luckily, Boost is going to hang out through next spring training, so we haven't totally gotten rid of him yet. But it's it's been fun to sort of be along for the ride the last few weeks as everybody got a chance to celebrate him. You know, one of the last home games when Mickey uh, Morbido came up to my booth and, and we were hanging out, I'm like, what is this organization going to do without Mickey Morbido? How, 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 <laughs> how do you replace somebody like that? I hope I hope we don't have to think about it for a while because I, I know you talk about him a lot. I don't know if if fans have a, a great appreciation for everything that Mickey does and makes makes literally makes the trains and planes run on time. But uh, but yeah, I, I mean, just emailing with him today about flights for players, doctor visits, and and off season stuff, and just the constant. Uh, logistical battle that Mickey's up against. I, I don't want to have to think about a time where we don't have Mick around. You know, when I, when, when I think about this off season, I mean, obviously, you know, we've talked to you about, you know, COVID and, and, and by the way, how, 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 I know it's uncomfortable, but did, how did that work out between Reno and, and Vegas in the very end? Is everything okay? Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it was a kind of a bummer for Vegas to, to end there season missing basically an entire series it was it was a number of positive cases within the reno team um and and as far as i know you know everybody came out of it okay but uh there just wasn't enough time to to play those games but um yeah i talked to fran reardon the other day on his way back to to buffalo and he he said it was kind of a bummer but um but ultimately you know we, we got to the end of the minor league season which was which was what was important to get those guys a full year 
Yeah, that's something, you know, because I, I do the minor league report in every broadcast, and all of a sudden they were the last <laughs> team, and we have canceled games, and it, it got me worried. And it, and, it, and it takes me back really to this, David, the fact that what you – and your staff did. And I know there was the problem down at, at, in Arizona, just and and you mentioned it uh, on this show before, how every every conversation comes back to COVID, just what you've been through in your career. And really your job was to keep all of us healthy, whether it's players, whether it's people in the, you know, I mean, you, Dave Cavill and everybody, it's like, we want to keep everybody healthy and we want to make sure everybody's safe and all the fans. This has been a really, I can't even imagine in your career, you've had a long career. I just, there, there's been nothing like this and, and it's not over. No. Yeah, no, you're right. This is, this has been different from anything we've dealt with. And I, and I, you know, I think Nick Paparesta got a lot of attention, deservedly so, around uh, around Chris Bassett's injury and and how well he handled that, and and the whole medical team. But um, but the stress and the the work those guys have done over the last two years, um, you know, Jeff Collins, Brian Schulman, our other athletic trainers, our our medical doctors, really everybody that that has had to uh, adhere to the protocols has had to, you know, push the players and staff to do the same. And it's been, it's been a long couple of years for, for the athletic trainers and the medical staff, again, who also didn't sign up, uh, to contain a deadly virus in the, in their jobs. So, um, we'll see where, where we are come February. And, and luckily, you know, vaccinations have, have really made a huge difference with certainly in every clubhouse and, and throughout the game. And, and I saw, saw a media report yesterday that they're talking about mandatory vaccinations for minor leaguers going into next year, which hopefully will, will take care of a lot of issues that, that teams have had down there. And, and I think, you know, look, I think we're close to being able to operate, as, you know, as close to normal as you can uh, with, with knowing that, that COVID is out there. You know, when I think about this offseason and signing players, uh, obviously we just had Mike Petriello on from MLB.com and MLB Network and talking about, you know, the CBA coming up. Um, the rules, like how big is your – how big is the roster going to be and how do you operate? Is there a floor? Is there a ceiling? There, there's a lot of different things out there. Just for you as someone who's got to, in the end, your job is to put guys on the roster and your job is to win. Just how tough is this do you think it's going to be for you in the offseason when you you clearly, as of right now, you don't know what the rules are going to be? Yeah, we don't know. We don't know a lot of things. I mean, un uncertainty is a little bit of our brand here. So it's not <laughs> it's not different from necessarily any other offseason, but this is a little different with a, a potentially expiring CBA and, you know, both sides talking about making a lot of changes. So I, I think there's, there's going to be a certain amount of, of wait and see for every organization for the next couple of months. And I, I'm, you know, we're all optimistic and hopeful that, that things get done sooner rather than later. But, um, but yeah, whether it's roster rules, economic rules, whatever, you know, whatever the changes are that are coming, I think we do need to, we need we do need to wait around a little bit and see uh, how it affects how it affects our off season and, and what we're able to do. How about the nationally guys who it's like 
are we going to have a DH? Are we not going to have a DH? Yeah. <laughs> They've been thrown this curveball that's like, I can't even imagine what it being an executive for a National League team would be like. No, it's brutal. And I, I think I've been pretty uh, open about my feelings on about pitchers hitting on this show, at least. And um, so, yeah, add that to you. You don't know if you're going to have a DH. That's that is rough. You know, they dealt with that a little bit last offseason when there was a lot of a lot of media talk about the DH going away. So, uh, no, I don't I don't envy them having to wait and wait and see what the decision is on that. So in the end, for David Forrest. What's it like for you in the off season? I know you got kids and you got soccer and you got stuff going on, but uh, what's the main thing for you in the off season now that we're not playing anymore? Well, I think just like, just like we deal with during the season, I think there are phases of the off season and you, you kind of get used to the, the cycle of the year. I think, you know, October when you're not playing is a lot of personnel issues, staff, coaches, things like that to deal with. And then you, you move on to free agency and the tender date, there's arbitration. It's, you know, it's kind of nice, the, the predictability of the off season, you know, exactly what you're going to be dealing with and, and when obviously, you know, the CBA notwithstanding. So I, I think we all kind of appreciate that schedule. You've got your little more nine to five, you're home at a normal time, spending, spending some time with the family, having dinners at home instead of at the ballpark. So you look forward to that part of it, but, but ultimately we're all still looking at the calendar, trying to figure out what day we get to fly to, to Arizona and, and get started all over again. Let's end on this. Starling Marte is somebody I get a lot of phone calls on, and I think he's a really interesting case because he's, I believe he turns 33 this week. We know what the market is for people who are in their thirties. It has changed. We know what he did for the A's and what he brought to this ball club, the energy and everything that he brought. What do you think the negotiations will be like with Starling and, and how interest are you, interested are you on bringing him back for, for next season? Well, I, I, I'd be crazy to not, not to want to bring him back. I mean, yes, he is turning 33 maybe tomorrow, actually. I'll yeah. have to send him a happy birthday text. Thanks for the reminder. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you'd be crazy not to want this guy at the top of your lineup every day or, and playing in center field. And, and, you know, Billy made the point when we talked to the media earlier in the week that um, we, knew he was, we knew he was good. We knew he was going to impact our team. But until you see him every day and see the way he disrupts other pitchers and just, just has him back, you, you have no idea how great a player he is. So I'd be crazy not to want him back. Um, we'll, you know, we'll start that conversation and, and see where it goes. I, I'm not sure that this is your typical 33 year old when it comes to free agency. We saw, you know, we saw how he takes care of his body. We saw the way he still runs and there are, there are some unicorns out there that don't, uh, <laughs> that, that the, the usual rules of aging don't apply to them. Well, I'll tell you this. There's a route. There's, there's a lot of rumors out there. I don't buy them. I mean, my joke is uh, I always say I believe everything I read on the Internet, but I, I think there is something really special when it comes to continuity, when it comes to leadership, it comes from the voice and it comes to winning. When I think about you and I think about Billy and I think about Bob, there is something special that we have here in Oakland. I mentioned it earlier about the hurdles are they're huge hurdles. 
But somehow you guys, after all these years, have figured out. I mean, you had a good season. You won 86 games. You had a winning year. But I, I don't want to see anybody leave, and I don't know how long we can <laughs> keep the band together. But I just think between you, Billy, Bob, we got something really special here, and I don't want to see it go. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I agree with you 100%. I don't want to see anybody go either. So uh, hopefully, yeah, we're sitting here in spring training with, with the band still together and, and making another run at it. And by the way, you better not go. <laughs> Whatever happens, you better not go. That's nice of you. I'll, I'll still call in if I do. How about that? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they can't. You know, because I think, you know, because in the end, we understand how this works and what you guys have been able to do. But be well, be safe, and we'll talk soon. Thanks very much, Chris. Talk to you soon. It's a reality. These guys have figured out how to win here. And I don't know how much that makes sense, but there are certain places, and I think the Rays are the exact same thing. These guys have figured out how do we win with what we have. And that's, that, that's, what, that's what business is all about. I mean, Cody, if you think about it, I mean, it's, it's, it's business. How do we win with what we have? And the A's are never like, like, I never want to have a great farm system. You know why? Because that means that we're not winning at the big league level. I could care less if we're 28th or 27th or whatever it is. I want to win, and I want to win now. So I got the, uh, oh, no, I got 5-4 right now. No, Carlos Correa just delivered a two-run double, and it's now 7-4. Oh, that's a horrible play. Whoever's in right field is a butcher. That was Garcia, yeah. And that's off Kimbrel. So. Uh, the oh, wow. I just saw that. White Sox bullpen letting them down again. Or not letting them down again, but Kimbrel, again, like he has not. He hasn't been good for the White Sox. And I know what you mean about about winning here and, and, and everything that Billy and David and, and their team has done. Uh, Dude, Garcia is terrible. That was a horrible. That, that's, a, that's an easy out. I'm pulling up Kimbrel's stats with the uh, White Sox. I mean, basically, Correa just drove it to the other way. And, oh, my God. He turned around. Uh, and, it's a horrible route. In 24 games with the White Sox, Kimbrel's 2-2 two and two with a 509 ERA with 36 strikeouts and 10 walks, and he allowed five home runs. So in 24 games, 23 innings, a 509 ERA coming into the postseason. That's what he did with the White Sox. Okay, here's the reality. We need the Rays to take out the, the Astros. That's that's where we're at. The White Sox are not going to beat the Astros. Astros are too tough. I mean, you think about, like, when we played them this year, how strong that lineup is. You go through that line. That, that's a lineup, man. They're, they're, they're well, really good. It's uh, it's sorry, it's nine four. Kyle Tucker just hit a two run homer into the Crawford so I, boxes. I'm that far behind. And the, I got seven four. Yeah, it just happened. I'm watching on my computer, and I have the game on my TV, the Braves game, and yep, into the Crawford boxes. Oh, he went Crawford boxes. I'm watching it now. Opposite field. This kid's good. Uh, yeah, he's scary good, and he hits like that, that's kind of that that that's kind of like why you're gonna let Correa walk. 
I don't know if Bregman – I mean, I don't know. Can Bregman play shortstop on an everyday basis? Because you made the commitment to him. They're not going to pay Correa. Correa's going to walk. Now they got that Siri kid and they got this Tucker kid. They're going to let these guys walk. Remember where their GM comes from, where James Click, you know, he comes and, from. And, oh, by the way, that, that home run's cheap. God, that's cheap. No offense. Was he throwing a breaking ball? But Tucker kind of reminds me of my guy, George Brett. No, 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 you know, no batting gloves, just. But, but buying or selling, we will see Liam Hendricks pitch in this series. You're going to be down 2 nothing, heading back to Chicago? You spent all that money on him and he doesn't. And say you're down 2-0 and you go back to Chicago. You know and... what's funny is, like, our fans will say, like, oh, we let Liam go. Liam got the highest contract a closer has ever gotten. Move over Dennis Eckersley, Raleigh Fingers, Goose Gossage. Aroldis Chapman. You move <laughs> over. This guy got, was it, 54, 56 yeah. million dollars? 54. Never have seen that ever. He got the biggest contract of all time. Like, stop. No way we're paying three years $54 million, and nor would I want to. What did Liam Hendricks prove? And for me, saying that means a lot because what? He's friend of the program. No one has been on this show more than Liam Hendricks. It's true. Three so. years, three years, fifty-four million. Yeah, I think the in the last year's like an option year or something like that is what he got in. Uh, yeah, so the inning just ended, so it's nine-four in that game. But man, if he, you go through this series and he doesn't pitch at all, I mean, you sign him for moments like this. I mean, how many games he pitched? It seemed like he pitched in every game for he pitched in the A's what, for the A's last year in the game where he went through fifty pitches and he came back and pitched the next day. Like he was he was awesome last year in the postseason for us. And yeah. now you're looking at a situation where he might not even appear in, this, in the unless they, you know Tony throws him out there in the eighth inning t- today just to get him in there to get a, have a a clean one two three inning. But I mean, man, K- Kimbrel, I mean that trade backfired on them badly as of, uh, so far. Yeah. Now, if you win the series, you move on, and you you know you won a World Series, and Kimbrel helps you out, sure. But I mean, I mentioned not winning the series. Come yeah. on. 509 ERA in the regular season, and now this. Yeah, that doesn't look good. I hate the Astros. I just I just hate them. But it's – it's. I'm with you. They're but brutal. They're tough, man. You go through that lineup. I mean, you got Altuve. You got Bregman. You got Correa. I mean, it's just – it's Brantley. It's just like it's guy after guy after guy. And it's, it's horrible. The fact that they've only won one World Series and they were cheating – is something to be said, right? Yeah, no, I agree. And it's it's hard for me to, right now, like, I, I I don't want them to win the World Series, but I want them to win the, if they, if the Rays don't win and they, and they for some reason, win the World Series, I'd be happy for Dusty Baker because I think Dusty should be in the Hall of okay, Fame. First of all, don't ever admit that. Keep that to yourself. What, that I'd be happy for Dusty Baker? That we as A's fans will never want to hear you ever say, <laughs> You're rooting for the Astros. Well, no, I'm rooting. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care who's managing them. 
they're the devil to me. Well, no, they are. But I think a World Series win for Dusty will for sure that's get him in. That's great. I don't care. He should be in the Hall of Fame anyway. But I mean, that's that's that's. Oh, a, I mean, his careers. Yeah, that's a whole football life thing that they do on NFL Network. We really should do that. And and I mean, MLB Network. Like, how would you not do like like thinking like of like a baseball life for like Joe Torre? Joe Torre was a great player. Think about Dusty Baker. Everything that Dusty Baker did in his career, we call him CJ? Yeah, I'm calling him right now. I mean, you think about everything that Dusty did in his career, a baseball life. No one has started, by the way. And I, I and, and Cody, you can check me on this. I think nobody has started in more games in left field for the Dodgers than Dusty Baker. I think he has started more games in left field than any Dodger. So when you talk about like a baseball life, CJ, it's great to have you on the program. How, how are you? I'm doing great. What's going on? Well, I'll tell you this. Now that we're in off-season mode, and now that puts me into golf mode where I go to the club in the morning, I'm able Ooh. to listen to you every once in a while here on uh, Sirius XM. I hope that doesn't ruin your golf game or your golf day or throw you off. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. But, uh, no, it's great. It's, it's, it's always great having you on because I, I, I think people, whenever we bring you on, we, we talk about the Texas Rangers. But what you do nationally and what you do, I mean, you guys do a phenomenal job on SiriusXM. Oh, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's fun to do, and it's so easy. I mean, the technology these days. It's so fantastic with these Comrex machines. They're just kind of these little tiny units that I would say they're like the size of two VHSs, but I'm going to have to, like VHS tapes, I'm going to have to come up with something that's more current so that people know. But these little machines that we have are great, man. Anywhere you have Ethernet, you can do a radio show as long as you have a good connection. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And, you, you know, hop on and, um, you know, be filling on other shows without having to drive into a studio. Um, it makes it easy, but it's just it's a lot of fun to do. And as you well know, man, it's, it's only work. Um, when it's something harder than talking about baseball, I think. Yeah, I mean, the reality is, is I've basically done close to 200 games from my house since the pandemic. Like, like my garage where my home studio is, uh, it, you know, I, I loved it when we would see you in Arlington and we would be there. And I, I, I even got Ray Fossey to go over to Texas Live and have the barbecue there. Uh, oh, nice. Lockhart, very nice. Yes, phenomenal. Phenomenal. And the yeah. fact that we haven't seen each other in almost two years is really I know sad. It, man. it is, and who knows what's going to happen next year. Obviously, safety first, and that's the most important. I mean, part of me is thinking we're going to travel again. I know that radio started to travel. Um, yeah. I don't Eric know. I got, I got comfortable doing I did get comfortable doing remote broadcasts, and, and every time I say that, I know that most broadcasters would like me to not say that, but um, I, I was actually okay with it as much as you miss being at the ballpark and seeing folks and being able to catch up in person um, and get a real feel for what's going on with the team. It wasn't, for me, it wasn't as bad um, doing those remote broadcasts. You got used to it. I keep telling people the one thing that was, I thought was really good about it on the TV side was that, you know, you're calling the game off the monitor, right? And so you're forced to make sure that you're watching everything the viewers watching as opposed to when you're at the ballpark, you're kind of jockeying back and forth between you're looking at the monitor, looking at the field. And so every little detail that the fan sees at home, you are now seeing and making sure that you're not missing anything that they may be wondering about that they just saw on their screen. Well, I got to tell you, from from your guys' standpoint, as you know, we do the show on the field. 
when Eric Nadell showed up, it was he was the first guy we had seen, like the Hall of Famer. He's a he's a Ford C Frick Award winner, right? And he like like we had him on the it's like it was crazy. He was the first person we had seen from another team. Yeah, that's wild. We saw at the very end the White Sox television travel. And so I ran into Steve Stone, Jason Benetti, yeah. and, and Len Casper. And uh, I almost didn't know how to act. Because it had been almost two years. I was like, wait, what do I do? What do I say? Um, but it was great to see them. And you know, those are conversations you probably don't realize how much you miss them until you're in the middle of another one. Whether it's baseball or whether it's just kind of goofing around and having a good time, um, trading some secrets, maybe some things you can't say on air that might help them with their broadcast, that kind of stuff. Um, but it is a treat. And uh, hopefully we're back to normal sooner than later. Yeah, and you guys at your ballpark, well, the old ballpark, because we haven't been to the new one, uh, the woman who ran the food, the most lovely woman, I don't remember her name, but God. Miss Wanda. Yes, she is She is a treasure. There's no question about it. She is, and Miss Wanda, we got to see her. I, I would say we didn't see her last year, uh, but about halfway through this year, uh, she was back running things in press dining. And it was great to see you. And you're right. Those are little things, the relationships that you build, whether it's as the home team or the visiting team um, throughout the ballpark, the people that you get to know. And it's the same thing as a player to some degree with clubhouse managers and security and people that you see, especially in your own division, quite a bit. Uh, but the same holds true for us in the media. And Miss Wanda is absolutely a Major League Baseball treasure for everyone around the league. So as a pitcher, how much are you worried about we're not getting innings from our starters. I mean, when you see guys getting pulled, I mean, if I Garrett Cole's getting paid $36 million, he can't even pitch two innings. Like, where are we going with this? Not ideal, that is for sure. And I think, you know, you want to give a little bit of a leash, I guess, because of last year with COVID and the shortened season and guys not being able to, you know, have that full season and build off of it the next year. Man, I feel like there's two ways to look at it. Does that mean that after going through a full season that, that guys would be running out of gas toward the end of the year. I think we've seen a lot of that. Um, or should it have meant that guys should be feeling really strong because they only had to pitch a third of the season last year? Unfortunately, I don't think that's the effect that we're getting. So that's part of it. And then it's also the willingness because it's worked and teams are seeing it, getting pitchers out of there a little bit quicker, trying to avoid that third time through. The Tampa Bay Rays are a really good example of that. I want to say there were second fewest batters faced third time through the order, uh, but yet they had the best numbers third time through the order. When they actually did it, uh, they were the best at it. They just don't do it very often because they know you got to pick your spots, right? Things like that, those trends that we have seen, and as much as everybody might have been upset about, you know, Blake Snell getting taken out of that game of the World Series last year for the Rays, uh, there is a strategy behind it, and the better teams stick with it. You know, Dave Roberts, same thing. Like, he pretty much sticks to his guns, and I know it's frustrating for some fans, uh, but that is where the game is headed. Now, as far as the guys that aren't performing well, um, that's just on them. You know, Derek Cole struggled down the stretch a little bit, didn't quite look himself the confidence in his fastball um, and his ability to execute it. Uh, it wasn't good in that game. It wasn't good his last couple of starts, and he got put in that spot where they needed him to come up big, and he couldn't do it. And as the lead guy with all that money, as you mentioned, that he makes, he's the guy that's going to take the brunt of the criticism as well, and, and that's just the way it goes. And for Yankee fans, they're no doubt frustrated. Uh, they expect at least one and, and really multiple World Series championships while he is there under that huge contract, but they got some holes to fill as they've shown us this year. You know, we've seen, I mean, and I don't, I don't want to call anybody out in our organization, but we have seen it. And being a former college pitcher, 
like I, I never use substances. Like we had no idea if I use copper tone or spider tech <laughs> obviously wasn't even around. Uh, and I, like we were, I, I called a couple of my old teammates, CJ, and went, you know, there were games we didn't even have a rosin bag on the back of the mound, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, and I'm thinking, yeah. about, like, how much have you seen the difference of these guys? And I, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I'm, 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 I'm ancient. I wouldn't even know how to use it. But this stuff that they were using, it has changed pitchers this year. Garrett Cole clearly is one of those guys. You look at the number, Jake Deakman. I'll call it out on our side. Just yeah. like the, what, what is the difference? Yeah, I think James Perrin touched another good name, like the guy who dominated coming out of that Cleveland Indians bullpen. He didn't seem like he was the same guy after the fact that eventually found his way to the, the minor leagues. Now, you know, maybe there are other reasons. He always want to leave that open, but it was pretty coincidental at the date of when some of these guys started struggling or when we started seeing some spin rates go down. To me, it's one of those things you learn in pro ball, like we didn't do it in college either. I don't even know if we had rosin backs in college at big times. When I was there, those were kind of the things you're introduced to in professional baseball. And then, you know, long seasons and all that time down the bullpens and being around crafty veterans. And there are these things that are just kind of passed down in conversations that come up. And whether it's, you know, the proper way to scuff a baseball, how to use pine tar, sticky stuff. You know, some guys are willing to talk about it more. Um, than others, but you do learn about it. If you spend enough time in the game, you're pretty much going to hear it all. And I remember experimenting with a, a little bit of pine tar and what that meant and how to best use it. And sometimes when things would get sideways, you'd have too much of it on your hands, and that's not what you want either. And and you didn't know what to do. Um, you know, you learn it and you figure it out. But I would say this: you know, for the longest time, pre-spider tack, that conversation that I would hear, even from hitters, I would say, "Well, I just want to make sure guys have a good grip." on the baseball, so I'm okay with a little something. And I remember thinking, you're crazy. Like, give me a little bit of pine tar to put on my middle finger that I could put right on that lace on throwing my breaking ball, and it's going to spin. And we weren't measuring spin when I played, but I knew it was going to be tighter. I knew it was going to spin harder. And it also gave you that mental advantage of feeling like, you know what, I know I have a really good curveball, even on days maybe I don't feel good because of what I'm using potentially or how I can use it. Um, to make my curveball spin more. And I, I always think, man, you guys are nuts for even allowing or op- being open to the idea of letting pitchers use even the slightest of substances because it does make a huge difference. Now, what I'm really curious about, I don't know if you saw this story at the end of the year, but I guess it was probably over the last three or so weeks of the season that select AAA teams were using a different baseball and that baseball that came over from Asia and that they used in the Olympics that has some natural attack to it. Yeah. I haven't heard or read anywhere as far as how that went and what the results were. I know the players that were playing internationally loved it. But to me, we probably do need to get to a better baseball because those baseballs can be slick, no doubt. And the way they rub them up, sometimes they're, they're more slippery and, and less helpful when they get a little dusty. And maybe that's where this is headed. But it is uh, definitely makes a huge difference. And you're absolutely right where there are some real notable guys who were not quite the same once they started checking these pitchers. You know, you said on this show probably about two years ago, you said, hey, listen, we know our teams better than anybody else. So for you with the Rangers, me with the A's, and I I, I totally agreed. And I I think about in division, how much we've seen the Astros, how much we've seen the Rays. Rays are no day at the beach. The Rays are, 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 are legit the way they match up. I think that's what we're going to see again in the ALCS. Uh, I know, you know, you know, we know the Astros really well. We know the Astros better than the Rays. But when you look at these two franchises and you think of all the talent 
on the Astros. And then you just think about what the Rays do. How do you look at that matchup? Yeah, it'd be a good one. I mean, obviously we still got to get there with this White Sox game or uh, uh, Astros game kind of fell apart here a little bit and they seem like they're in trouble. Um, you know what? I, I do like the Rays a lot. The, the Astros are the better team on paper because of the superstars and because of the gaudy numbers. The Rays are that team that you walk away from a series, especially during the regular season, and go, wait, what just happened? How did we lose that? Because, you, again, you'll look at what's happening on paper. There's no superstar there. There's probably no MVP candidate on a first-place team from the toughest division in baseball. Uh, there's probably not a Cy Young Award candidate on that team, but yet here they are. Right here they are looking like a favorite to be able to get to the uh, championship series, and, and they manhandled a really tough division. I mean, as good as the Toronto Blue Jays were, they were a fourth-place team, and that division's crazy. And that's just how deep it ran, and it was a non-issue for the Rays to win that division. So they do it by kind of sneaking up on you a little bit. They use their entire roster really well. Their pitching matchups, you know, we were talking earlier, just Chris, about how you know we get the uh, pitchers coming out early, and Kevin Cash is absolutely in that camp of being a batter ahead instead of a batter behind. You'd rather take that chance of getting him out, uh, pitcher out of there earlier than later and making the mistake of, of keeping him in or trusting instincts. Um, and not to say you can't do that, but they do that really well, and they have a plan. And every time you know Eric Neander picks up the phone and, and calls another GM, I'd say, if I'm not GM, I don't answer that phone because <laughs> they just figure it out, man. Like, you're looking like, oh, yeah, sure, you can have, you know, GP Eisen or whoever it may be. And that's, you know, that's not the biggest game we're worried about it. And listen, Willie Thomas did well going from Tampa to – um, Milwaukee was a better place for him and he really performed and he was big for them but it just seems like they win every trade and it seems like you'll see a pitcher go by in, in a deal and a transaction with them and it's like that's interesting I wonder why they wanted that guy with the you know four and a half ERA and all of a sudden you look up and he's got a you know a two with them over the last two months of the season or whatever it may be they just really have some secret sauce going on over there they know how to best utilize players and get the most out of them so if, if this is the matchup we end up getting in the championship series uh, I'll pull for the Rays because they're a fun team to root for because they do it with less resources. Uh, I think we know how most of baseball fans feel about the Astros as well, so that makes it another easy reason to pull for the Tampa Bay Rays, but it won't be easy, man. It should, hopefully it's going to be a great series, but the Astros are the better team. Um, it's just a matter of whether or not the, the Rays can continue to work their magic. Well, our, our, our good buddy Liam Hendricks, is, Liam Hendricks has been on this program more than anybody. I mean, he would uh, – He'd walk over and put the headset on on a daily <laughs> basis. We love us some Liam Hendricks. And I'm just like, and I'm thinking about you as somebody who had, had a terrific career like yourself. I mean, when you're going up against this Astro lineup, I mean, when you would have to go up, I mean, I mean, Brantley and Bregman and Altuve and Correa and these guys, uh, Jordan Alvarez. I mean, just what would it be like preparing for you as a big league pitcher preparing against a lineup where, you know, every guy you're facing is legit. Yeah. I would say that, you know, for my, especially as a starter, but even as a reliever, you know, for my generation, that was the Cleveland Indians for a while. As yeah. deep as they ran in their lineup, they ran really deep. So that was in division when I was in Detroit for those five years. And um, then of course the New York Yankees for the longest time throughout the nineties were a really tough lineup. By the way, and, that Indian and, team that you're talking about, when you start thinking yeah, about yeah. all the great, I mean, Guys that made the Hall of Fame won't make the Hall of Fame. Yeah. That's one of the greatest lineups of all time. I mean, Manny Ramirez, Jim Tomey, uh, Albert Bell. And then there was a couple of guys that didn't overlap and some did. At the top of the lineup, when they would go Kenny Lofton, Roberto Alomar, or Omar oh. Vizquel in there somewhere, like the three of those guys, basically like three leadoff hitters who could get on base. And then it was, 
you know, Manny, Albert Bell, Jim Domi, even Sorrento back in the day. I mean, they went up and down and they went really deep and, and they were a tough lineup for the longest time. Um, and then, of course, the Yankees were as well. So as far as the preparation goes, I mean, it's a grind. You know, you're going to throw a lot of pitches and, you know, they're going to foul off your best pitches. That's the thing. We have an opportunity to put a, a good hitter away and he fouls off two or three and you're just grinding and, and then you make a mistake and they make you pay. Um, there are a lot of good lineups. You know, it's funny. I go back and you don't you don't realize it at the time. Like I pitched right through the middle of the PED error. Um, yeah. But then you go back now and you put oh, yeah. it in perspective. The league average was 270, and I believe it was 2,000. Like that was the league batting average, and it's like now 270 now is like a really good average. I don't think any team, maybe the Astros, hit that. I don't look because we don't look at batting average as much. But that was the league average. That might be the tops in the league now for one team um, these days. And as much as it's the home run error, which I always find kind of interesting too, like obviously we're living in this generation of a ton of home runs, right? We still haven't seen anybody hit 60. And all, and all the home runs that we're seeing outside of Maris, Ruth, and then all the guys that broke the record that were on PEDs, right? I mean, that, and that was that error. I, mean, well, I, think the, I think Roger Maris's record has been broken six or seven times, and it was always done by a guy in the PED era from, PED era from you know, 98 to 01 or whatever it was, right? So even though these guys are launching like crazy, uh, it's not one guy that's hitting 60 home runs. We barely see guys get in the 50s. And for a generation, we saw a lot of guys in those numbers and in the 60s um, with some regularity. So it was a completely different um, kind of generation in that regard, even though we look at this offensive error. It's, it's maybe the smartest in the way that they do it. Um, but it was tough. It's tough preparing, no doubt, when you have to go up and down the line um, and there's no breaks in the lineup. And, and certainly with the Astros, they run they run deeper than anybody. Let me, let, let me uh, leave you with this. A, a day in my career. It's 2001. I'm doing the Giants pregame show. I had Peter Gammons on my show. Barry Bonds is facing Russ Springer. He's already hit 72. And I, I stood behind home plate at then Pac Bell Park and watched Barry Bonds hit his 73rd home run. And I watched nice. him round the bases. And that's the year I actually got married. So it's it's been a while. Um, yeah. CJ, think about that. I sat there and watched him hit his 73rd home run. And he rounded the bases. As I'm looking at Dusty Baker right now on MLB Network, uh, Dusty uh, obviously being there. I mean, 70. I mean, like like when you go back when you played, it's crazy to think what you had to deal with playing against all those guys yeah and yeah and everybody was faced with it and the idea of you know what are you going to do and great players and you know uh, i watch some pitchers do it and i watch their velocities go up and i resisted the temptation and there's times you to go down some dark paths and say man maybe i should have maybe i should have picked up to the four miles an hour gosh if i was elected throwing 97 how different uh, would my career have been but you know, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that i didn't um even though i was pretty tempted and gotten close and, and you know it's just part of history kind of the way that it went those numbers were absurd. They'll never be broken again. And my only, you know, and I kind of joke around and have some fun with it, but I do get a little bitter about the idea that, you know, when we were kids, how fun was it when maybe your favorite player or any player got had 50, say, going into September? And you thought, man, is this going to be the year? Is this going to be the year that somebody breaks Roger Maris's record? And it never happened. But it would never happen for us as kids. And then all of a sudden, PEDs enter the game and the record gets smashed. Not broken, smashed multiple times. And it'll never be caught again. And we've been robbed of that. And I and I do hate that part of it as much as um, it's just part of history. And that's just kind of the way things go. I always liked that as a kid, um, thinking about could there be a guy that was going to do it this year. And uh, and now that'll never happen. And we can never do that again. 
Well, I, I, you know, a lot of people look up to you, obviously, the career that you had, and I know you've done coaching just now, and, and we'll end on this. Just what does that mean to you now? You didn't do it, that you did it the yeah. right way, and you're able to look at people in the eye and be, I, 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 I played my career the way it was supposed to be played. Well, I, I, I take no pride in it because, like I just told you, I wasn't afraid to use some pine tar once in a while. Oh, that um, didn't mean anything. I didn't take uh, – but I, for me, though, I mean, even though we all just kind of look the other way, we all look the other way with PEDs at the time, too. And the same thing with amphetamines. It was just – they were all out there. And sure, maybe, you know, taking steroids or amphetamines is going to help you a lot more than using pine tar. But I, I don't hold myself in any higher esteem, you know, for not taking PEDs just because – other guys did and went on to have great careers. We all we all make choices. We're all human beings. Um, you know, we're all fallible. So I, it doesn't. It's not a sense of pride for me necessarily. Um, it was just I was part of it, and it gives me a nice built-in excuse for a really high ERA. Well, I, I can tell you this: uh, it's great to always have you on the program. And now that we're in the off season, because you, you you do the early morning show, so now I can hear you on Sirius XM. Yeah, mostly, and you mentioned Liam Hendricks. We're actually going to have him on tomorrow. I'm doing loud outs with Ryan Spielboard at 10 o'clock Eastern on XM. So Liam will be with us tomorrow. So we're looking forward to talking with him. Yeah, that's 7 a.m. for us out here. <laughs> yeah, well, you can always, you know what, you can always go back and listen on the app. There's a little plug for the SXM app. Hey, hey, thank you for everything you've done for our program. We truly appreciate it. Be well, be safe, and let's talk soon. Sounds good, Chris. Enjoy your off season, man. Great to catch up. C.J. Nikowski. I was Great wrong. Guy. I was wrong, by Great the way. Guy. Huh? I was wrong. What? Uh, Liam pitched the eighth inning for the White Sox. Yes, he did. <laughs> and by the way, did you see his haircut? Yes. So I'm way behind you, by the way. Like, where are where are you? I'm I'm ninth inning. Yeah, I'm in the ninth inning. Kendall Graven's on the mound. Another former A. Yeah, I, I but, but obviously, like, when CJ was talking, like, I'm way behind you guys. Yeah, it's watching on my computer. Ninth inning, nine four Astros, guy on first, no outs, Graveman on the mound, Tim Anderson, or T A as they call him at at the plate. So do we need to go right now to uh Oh well, we got a few minutes. Hembo's like thirty one minutes and then uh the great Ned Coletti is gonna call us at three thirty. Oh, told, told him we want to talk Dodgers Giants and we want to talk a little Sharkies hockey because they start the season next week. Okay, I know nothing about the Sharks. We can just ask him about like what what are the expectations this year. Is Owen know. Nolan coming back? <laughs> <laughs> they're they're they're. I plan to go on to, to some Sharks games. Uh, they're they're they're. By go- the way, a, a Kendall Graveman is literally. Ooh, base hit into right field. Two on, nobody out. Kendall Graveman is literally one of the nicest kids I've ever covered. Like I will always like his wife. I remember when they were engaged. It was at the golf tournament. I, I, I'm a big, I will always be a big Kendall Graveman fan. Remember, we talked to him last month? Was that for yeah, pregame? He, he, is, he is really, because where did he go to school? Mississippi State? Yeah, he was a Bulldog. Right, he's from the South, but he's really a really good guy. I'll always root for Kendall Graveman. He's a he's a he's a he's a he's a fine young man. Oh boy, Louis. Rock- he's not young anymore, by the way. No, he's in his third. What is he? Thirty? Thirty now? I think he's thirty now. Let me. I remember when he came to us from Toronto. He was a young kid. 
He was in his early 20s. He's 30. He'll be 31 December 21st. I mean, Kendall Graveman was in the uh, was in the Josh Donald. He was he was in the Donaldson trade. Yeah, he debuted with he debuted uh, he debuted with the Blue Jays at age 23. So he's 24 at the A's. I want to say Kendall Graveman is not once but twice an opening day starter for the A's. Yeah, I remember he filled remember in. Sunny Gray got Sunny Gray got uh, food poisoning. And then we traded Sonny Gray, and then, yeah, I think two straight years. Yeah, I think 20 – let me pull up the 2016 season, but I think that's when he did it, uh, when he would have done it. Because he did it in 2015 with, when you mentioned – I remember because I was on with Sonny. Uh, so let me just – or maybe it was 2016 and 2017. Your, 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 your French Cuban is up at the plate. I know. He's three for three today. I'm kind of I'm scared. What's his name? Uh, Luis Robert. <laughs> no, it's Robert. I'll never forget that one. We, I'll never forget that. I'm like, are you sure about that? You, you, that 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 may be the only time in our careers you did me wrong. It was at least we laughed about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're like, how's he a French Cuban? He's Robert. The uh, the opening day starter in 2016 was Rich Hill. So, ooh, the great Rich Hill. Uh, who's now? Well, he was with the Rays. He's with the Mets. I think Rich Mets. Hill was a great. By the way, Rich Hill was a good A. He was. He was outstanding for the A's. I'll pull up his numbers right now for you. Yeah, we just pull it up. He made an All Star game. He was. I, I remember. Well, I mean, he he fetched that curveball was just money. With the A's, Rich Hill. He's now forty one years old. Was he an All Star with the A's? He was not an All Star. What? No. Rich Hill was nine and three with the A's with a when two. Was he an All Star? Uh, he was never an All Star. Okay. Rich Hill was nine and three with a two two five ERA and fourteen starts. Ninety Is that any good. Ninety strikeouts and seventy six innings. Rich Hill dealt for the A's. He was traded. Was that the Mont? Was that how we got Frankie Montas? Yeah, because that was uh that was the Reddick trade, right? It was him and Reddick were traded to the Dodgers. Yeah, I'm going to double check that. For Frankie Montas, Grant Holmes, and somebody. Jarrell Cotton. Jarrell Cotton, yes. That's Texas Ranger Jarrell Cotton. Kansas City Royals slash Texas Ranger. Slash Chicago Cub. He was on the Cubs, I think, last year, this year. What he he was. Kendall Graveman was a Cub, too. Uh, Come on. Come on, Robert. Um, So, wait a minute. So, wait. So, so. We traded Graveman and Rich Hill, and we got back three guys. Uh, uh, Reddick and Rich Hill. Red, so you got Josh Reddick, Rich Hill for Frankie Montas, Grant Holmes, and Jarrell Cotton. Yes. Uh, like, Grant, how do you, you, how, hey, Rich Hill pitched, hey, unless I'm wrong, he pitched well for the Dodgers, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, he pitched in the postseason for them in 20, is that 2017? And then you had Reddick played for the Dodgers. Won a World Series. They, of, did he win a, no, he won a World Series with the Astros. I mean, that's, kind of, that, that, that's kind of a trade that's worked for, for everybody, right? If Frankie Montas is now our, arguably him and Bassett are our, our best pitchers. In in, uh, in sixty eight starts with the Dodgers in four years, Rich Hill went thirty and sixteen with a three one six ERA, four hundred twenty seven strikeouts over three hundred sixty one in the third innings. 
That doesn't look good. <laughs> yeah. Um, Grant Holmes hasn't debuted yet, by the way. Yeah. Still waiting. Well, we got Frankie Montas. Yeah, that's all that matters. But now we should probably get to Humbo. My guy Graveman's battling right now. So against Robert? Yeah. I hope people understand that's a joke. We know it's Elise Robert. <laughs> All right. Here is my conversation earlier today from ESPN. He's one of the top researchers. He's one of the top personalities. Here is Paul Hembikides. We call him Hembo right here on A's Cast Live. Hembo, how are you, buddy? It's been a while. We got playoff baseball going now. Man, for my money, and you know I'm a fan of all sports, for my money, October is the best month on the sporting calendar. That's obviously, in my case, primarily because playoff baseball is unmatched. In my judgment, it is unbelievably compelling because every pitch matters. You know, the regular season is a slog. And, you know, if, if you're someone like me who likes to follow, like, the sort of minutia of it, by the time you get to August, you're like, I'm ready to I'm ready to watch games that matter. But now that they're here, I find myself glued to the TV and staying up much later when I shouldn't be and all that stuff. Like, this is this is a time to be alive. And it's actually kind of nice to have the brevity of the playoffs back. Like, last year I enjoyed the fact that we got playoffs last year. The fact that we got a shortened season was wonderful given the year we had. But I like the fact that these games feel much more urgent and we only have 10 teams rather than 16. You know, when you think about this postseason that we're, we're, we're about to embark on, that now that we have the uh, wild card games are over, what series are you most interested in? So the most interesting series is obviously Giants, Dodgers, for all of the obvious reasons. I mean, there is there's a credible argument to be made that merely the fact that these teams have to play in the division series is a referendum on baseball playoff format. We could discuss that until we're blue in the face. I happen to think that even if you keep the uh, system to just five teams per league, there's no obvious reason not to seed them by record as a way to ensure or at least project out the best teams to the championship series. That might be a conversation for another day. But this is really a referendum on are the Giants for real? Because they won 107 regular season games, but they are a pretty significant underdog in the series, despite being the best uh, team in baseball the whole season, despite having home uh, field advantage in the series, and despite beating the the Dodgers in their head-to-head during the regular season. But aside from that, I mean, look, these teams could not possibly be more even. Like I said, the Giants beat the Dodgers in their head-to-head this year, 10-9. to And those two teams went exactly 97-46 and in all of their other games. Like, they are a perfect match in the fact that we're going to get to see them play as many as five times is an awesome thing for baseball. I think the only thing that we're missing is the chance to see them play head-to-head seven times. Yeah, I, I thought that was a crazy thing when you think about, like, like the Giants have not really played the Dodgers at all in their history in the postseason, <laughs> yet we've seen the Yankees and the Red Sox a ton. I could not believe that. So the Dodgers and the, and the uh, the excuse me, the Giants, and the Dodgers first played in the year 1890. At that point, they were obviously both in New York, and the Dodgers went by the Brooklyn Bridegrooms. Okay, they played so long that when they first started, they were called the Bridegrooms. So the fact that we're getting this now for the first time is a pretty extraordinary thing. They've been good in plenty of sort of overlapping seasons, but that happened a long time ago. Like, obviously, the playoff format now sort of allowed this to finally become a thing, but They've played more than 2,000 times, and for my money, that's the best rivalry on the West Coast. So if, if this were a seven-game series, like a seven-game LCS, 
I'd feel a lot better about having the chance to sort of duplicate the magic that the Yankees and the Red Sox had in 03 and 04. The fact that it's a division series, I think it's going to have to go the distance and have a lot of drama to be that kind of compelling. But you're exactly right. Like, this is exactly what baseball needs. Like, baseball needed this series. And my hope is, even though it was, it's sort of being buried here in the division series, is that enough fans across the country get to experience this rivalry the same way that for so many years we did get to experience Yankees Red Sox. How much are the Giants built on the home run? And if they don't hit the home run, what will happen in the series? So I think you hit the nail on the head here. This series to me is all about the long ball. Who hits them and who prevents them? Because the Giants won 107 games this year, but in only eight of them did their opponent out-homer them. I'm going to say that again. The Giants went 8-28 and 28 this season in games in which their opponent out-homered them. That's astonishing considering they won 99 more of those games. The Dodgers won 16 of those games during the regular season, twice as many as the Giants. And in their 19 head-to-heads, even though the Giants won those 10-9, to the Dodgers were plus 8 in the home run margin. So to me, it's a pretty obvious sort of uh, direction here. Like, the Dodgers have more ways they can score. The Dodgers ranked seventh this season in scoring if you just eliminate the value from home runs. The Giants ranked 21st. I hate to put it this way, but at least offensively, this is a one-trick pony. And if I were a betting man, my money would be on the Dodgers' ability to suppress contact enough to keep the ball in the yard and the Dodgers' ability, their lineup's ability, to generate or manufacture runs if need be. There is all sorts of evidence historically, at least in recent years, of these sort of powerhouse home run hitting teams sort of hiccuping in the postseason. Now, the Giants might be different because the Giants get it up and down their lineup. Ten different guys hit ten home runs, as you've heard a million times. So they have a very balanced lineup. But ultimately, I think with, you know, as the weather, as the weather cools here and the Dodgers uh, pitching staff keeps the ball off the barrel, and you know Dave Roberts will be going to his bullpen early in these games, will be four and a half hours long. I think you're looking at a lot of three, three to two ball games. And I think if that's the series, I think I, I, in my judgment, the Dodgers become, if not a significant favorite, at least a clear favorite in my mind. You have no idea if the Dodgers are able to take down the Giants, how much trash I will be able to talk to my Dodge, to my uh, Giants buddy. (laughs) Oh, you have no idea. (laughs) Well, look, the Giants, like this is, Usually it's the it's the it's the huge market teams that you know their fans are the most insufferable. But the Giants fans this year with the whole like nobody believes in us thing and we'll watch just watch us win and like look like great congratulations like you had the best record in the regular season. Um, just as as an aside, you don't hang banners for that. Look, this is and this is the fan base that should know this. Like the Giants won three World Championships in the last twelve years. They shouldn't have won any of those. Like they they know exactly what October baseball is all about. In none of those years were the Giants a favorite going into the postseason. So this is a different thing for them. I'm with you. Like the Giants fans are like, they have had this whole magic carpet ride for the last six months to enjoy (laughs) a week from now. None of that might matter. And I'll be chuckling if it happens because there've been a lot of arrogance on the interwebs as, uh, as well, there should be. I mean, they were a great team, but that doesn't, nothing they've done over the last six months uh, guarantees them a damn thing over the next week. Who scares you? Who's who's in the postseason right now? Well, like, like, you give you a team that I think is better than the public perceives. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, I think Milwaukee. Milwaukee is absolutely that team. In fact, I made Milwaukee my my pick to win the pennant like halfway through the year, and I've stuck with it ever since because 
that pitching staff is absolutely preposterous. And if you've not followed Milwaukee closely this year, I'll just give you one statistic that illustrates that. So Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta, those are their one, two, and three starters. All three of those guys had a whip below one. Their base runner avoidance was ridiculous. There, was ne- there had never been a team in the history of Major League Baseball, not one team ever, that had three starting pitchers that did that. Obviously, that guarantees them nothing. But when you combine the fact that they have, at least at the moment, three dominant frontline pitchers that avoid the home run and Josh Hader looming on the back end, to me, he's the biggest X factor in the entire postseason because he can get you more than three outs at once. I don't know who's going to score against those guys. Now, Milwaukee doesn't have a lineup with all that much firepower. Christian Yelich has not gotten a single hit since I declared him the best player in baseball two years ago, as you well know. So that's, like, that's an average lineup. Like If they're going to make a run at this thing, it's going to feel a lot like the 2019 Nationals who rode on the shoulders of Max Scherzer and Patrick Corbin and uh, World Series MVP Steven Strasburg. But that team had Juan Soto and Anthony Rendon and Trey Turner. All three of those guys are better than any single guy the Brewers have in their lineup. So if, if the Brewers are going to make a run, as I'm projecting, it's going to require a Herculean effort from those four pitchers. You know, the, the, the two teams that I'm very interested in, obviously we know a lot mm. about the Astros. And the Astros – they're just tough. I mean, they, they, they've been here now for years. They've got a, a terrific lineup. And then I start thinking about Tony La Russa and that bullpen. I, whoever comes out of this White Sox-Houston series, I, I got a feeling they're the team to beat. I don't know. I just I got this feeling that just knowing these teams the way I do, there it's going to be no day at the beach facing either of these. Whoever makes it out of this, it is going to be a team that you're like, wow, I really want to face them in a seven-game series? I want to push back on you slightly. Um, I'll start with the White Sox. I think the White Sox were a bit of a, a byproduct of a really easy American League Central. Here's the, the statistic that I'll use to point that out. So what I did was I looked at the records that all 10 playoff teams had against the other nine playoff teams. And when I did that exercise, the White Sox had the worst record in baseball amongst that group. They only won 13 games against the nine teams that made the playoffs. The Astros had the best record of that kind. Again, that's not necessarily predictive. It just sort of demonstrates the strength of your record. The White Sox have plenty of talent. They have a bullpen that can absolutely win games for you uh, if they become bullpen games. As we saw in game one, that was not the case. Perhaps the, the, the rest of the series will yield different results. The other thing that they have, is a lineup that can generate runs without the benefit of the home run ball, which, again, I think is a huge factor in the postseason, and a bunch of young guys that can get hot. Like, they have a handful of hitters that I think the country will definitely get behind seeing them on a national stage for the first time. The Field of Dreams game was our first taste there, but I just sort of have a bad feeling about the way they finish their season. The Astros I feel more strongly about because they have an even better lineup than Chicago, in my opinion, and they're going to play – with more to prove, and I hate to do the cliche chip on your shoulders, you know, thing, but like the bottom line of it is if the Astros win the World Series this year, all of that stuff that happened in 2017 doesn't get forgotten, but it demonstrates like it, it vindicates all those guys. Like I would go as far as to say that if, if they go ahead and win the World Series this year, all of a sudden Jose Altuve is back on a Hall of Fame track, Carlos Correa is back on a Hall of Fame track. Those guys are no longer persona non grata because. They will have done so clean. And the way I think the way they're going to hit this um, postseason is going to be really hard to stop. Now, you, you didn't even mention the Rays, who are my favorite to win the American League. That team is ridiculous. So 
I think the Astros are more equipped to give the Rays a good series than Chicago is. But if 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 if, if Chicago winds up playing bullpen games with the rest of the with you know whomever they you know they match up against in the uh, in the ALCS, they have to be the favorite because of Kimbrel and Hendricks on the back end. You know, I picked the Rays to win it, and then my question will be. Is it good for baseball for the Rays to win it? Can I answer your question? Yeah. Obviously not. I mean, if we're just to be right. honest here, like I don't, I, I don't want to come across like East Coast biasy and elite and all the like. The bottom line of it is, no one gives a flying rip about the Rays nationally. Like that's just the truth, and that's the, that's that's a chip on their shoulder that they can apply and go out and win games. That's what they do. I'm a baseball nerd. I'm rooting for those guys. I think Wander Franco is a shooting star who is likely to emerge this October in a way that Miguel Cabrera once did and Andrew Jones once did and Juan Soto once did. That kid is the future. But the bottom line of it is very clear. I mean, you don't want baseball to have to play three or four World Series games in a garage. You know, you don't want, you don't want there to be a circumstance here in which, you know, my, my World Series is Ray's Brewer. That's what I think will happen. But, like, if that winds up happening – 50% fewer people are going to watch the World Series. It's a catch-22. So it is a good thing for – look, like you guys know this, you know, from, from operating the small market that you do. It's a good thing for baseball that teams like the Rays, teams like the A's, have demonstrated, yeah, we can play with the big boys despite only having a fraction of the resources. But once they wind up getting there, it isn't the best thing for baseball because it's just going to attract a uh, you know, smaller uh, viewership. And that's not my opinion. That's just a statement of fact. So our, 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 your expert opinion is saying that Ray's Brewers would not be Tom Brady going back to New England to take on Bill Belichick. It wouldn't have the same type of effect in ratings. <laughs> uh, uh, I would say not. Look, I, this is a fascinating postseason. And the fact that the Yankees already got eliminated and the fact that the Red Sox, look, they, they might be on the ropes. Like, I don't. The, the whole is it good or bad for baseball thing comes up all the time. But the bottom line of it is it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what the answer to that question is because you got to play the game. Like I have endless respect for the Rays and your organization and a few others. And the Brewers are another example of these teams. Like I'm amazed, amazed uh, of what you guys can do with your limitations. It is a truly astonishing thing. And there's a certain, there's a certain collection of fans that can really appreciate that. Like obviously, but I mean, you know, the, the the demographics and all the rooting interests across the country, like those numbers, you know, sort of speak for themselves. So like, I think in an honest moment, Rob Manfred would tell you the exact same thing I just said. Like it's great for baseball that the Rays can get good. It means our structure works, but you can also, you know, acknowledge the fact that, yeah, a lot of, and a lot fewer people are going to tune into Fox to watch those games because they just have such a small fan base. Is it true that ESPN lobbied to have the, uh, Red Sox and the Yankees wild card game be a seven game series. Is that true? <laughs> the the, wild, the seven the, the classic wild card series. Um, yes. I, seven I, game. I, I actually I, I actually heard they wanted to do a best of nine, like the original World <laughs> Series, right? Like the, the 1903 World Series, where uh, we would just do a home, the, the winner would be determined by home run derby uh, distance over the Green Monster. Like that was that was what I was led to believe in all of our production meetings. But in re, in all reality, like. That obviously, that game did a, did a huge rating, and that kind of thing is good for baseball. To see the Yankees and the Red Sox play a winner-take-all game at Fenway Park with Garrett Cole getting shelled and getting six outs, like that's endlessly fun and, and, and one, an awesome drama. And as an aside, I'm not a fan of the Yankees, as you know, but if I were a fan of the Yankees, Garrett Cole would scare, scare the living crap out of me because Garrett Cole, since Major League Baseball decided to stop letting you pitchers uh, uh, use spider tacks at will, 
has been kind of average. He, he allowed 21 homers over his last 20 starts with a 4.3 ERA. I would be awfully worried if I were a fan of the Yankees that I'm not, I'm not going to have gotten what I paid Garrett Cole for over the next seven years. $36 million. You go to baseball reference. It's every year that he's going to be with the Yankees. He gets $36 million. And you Chris, think about he's, that he's outing that he's, for $36 million? Oh Are you kidding me? Chris, uh, I'm trying to – I'm going to challenge you to this. Like, can you ever remember a, an instance in which a, a pitcher of his stature came up smaller in a big game than Garrett Cole did. I think people in New York actually had this wrong. Cause I obviously, I do the local radio here um, and everyone calls in and say, yeah, we paid Garrett Cole to win games like that. That, that is not, I mean, it is partially true, but it is not as true as this. You paid Garrett Cole, Chris, for that exact game. Yep. It's a winner take all game against your longstanding rival at Fenway Park. And you got six outs. Like I, I it is, it is unimaginably, Unclutch. It is unimaginably small. It is unimaginable what Garrett Cole did in that game, and it was obvious that he had like he just didn't have it. Like no one was even discussing like the idea that Aaron Boone came to him too quickly. Like he said, "I'm out on the mound" when he handed Aaron Boone the baseball. Like it's utterly pathetic, and he knows it. And he's he's been dealing with a hammy, and he was on the COVID list. Like he's he's in, you know gone through some stuff, but like. I saw Madison Bumgarner throw, you know, spinning 85 mile per hour sliders, and nobody on the on, on the Royals could hit him uh, at all, and, and they won, you know, three World Series doing that nonsense. Like at some point, it, either you have it or you don't. And he pitched five winner take all games now, and his team has lost four of them. That, that that is a referendum on Garrett Cole and the contract that you gave him. You know, I think about like like you know whether it's Glavin or it's Smoltz or it's Maddox. Like in that run for the Braves, like they, if they went five, you'd be like, oh, that's a disappointment. The fact that this guy couldn't even get into the third inning, making thirty-six million dollars, and, and, and the way that he was taken out, and he and he so easily gave up the ball. I mean, you saw Max Scherzer. Scherzer didn't want to give up the ball to Dave Roberts. That was very. It's clear. impossible to believe. Yeah, that, 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 that's, who, that, that's who Max Scherzer is, and that's why I put him in the Hall of Fame. The fact that a guy like Garrett Cole gave up the ball that easy was disgusting. Yeah, um, there was no life on that fastball. I mean, Kyle Schwarber hit a pitch for a homer in that game, 97 at the letters, that, like, historically, people just swing through. Like, that's a pitch that Garrett Cole always gets a swing under uh, with two strikes for, for a strikeout. Like, that's – that's the pitcher that he has always been. But I think it's worth reminding people when it comes to Garrett Cole. And I'm not like, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I'm picking on the guy. But like Garrett Cole was about an average pitcher in Pittsburgh. Like he was not, he was not great. He turned into a Hall of Fame pitcher in, in Houston. And we know the Astros during that time were up to no good. He became Sandy Koufax over the, over the period of two years. That's the outlier. Like he was pretty good for the Yankees last year. He was pretty good for the Yankees this year. But you said 36 – like, on, on a per-year basis, Chris, he makes more money than any pitcher in the history of baseball. Scratch that. He makes more money than any player in the history of baseball on a, on a, on a, on a um, per-year basis. So, like, that is – it provides you no margin for error. Like, you, you have – like, no one's paying you to give your team a chance to win. That's what you pay your number three starter for, right? That's, that's what you pay Jamison Tyone to do. You're paying Garrett Cole to get you 21 out so you can hand the ball to 
whomever, and then Araldus Chapman, like maybe straight to Chapman. It, it is it is impossible to believe. I mean, it, it would be the equivalent of Derek Jeter going 0 for 15 in a series. It was it was unimaginable. And that stink that he left in the mouths of, of Yankees fans, the fact now that they have to wonder if he's even going to be worth this contract, is a whole other subplot. It's not that he just had a bad game, but he had a bad, like, three months. Like, Major League Baseball started cracking down on foreign substances. June 3rd was the crackdown. Before that, he was Superman. After that, he was about league average. Let's end on this. What is the number one thing you've done recently with your Traeger? <laughs> um, I have done, uh, let's see here. So my, my wife is, is, is now putting me up to doing some more, like, uh, not girly stuff, but like more like, like less like 15 pounds of meat stuff. So this week, she, uh, she layered like a bunch of phyllo dough. And we did two different pizzas. We did a little uh, a classic pepperoni. Then she did one with like the, you know, feta cheese and the oil and some arugula, like that kind of stuff that like looked kind of fun and artsy. So like, I'm trying to play the game here. But I mean, this weekend we're going back to the basics. Like we're going, like we're going back to the hardcore stuff. We're going to do chicken wings. I'm going to do some uh, cheesesteaks. I had buddy, a buddy came over last weekend. We did a whole pork shoulder, which was just outstanding. So I'm, I'm doing the best I can to stay true to myself, but the more and more of these things he starts throwing at me, like the pizzas and like the pastas and the nachos, like, ah, to me, like, I'm, 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 I'm starting like to sort of feel like it's going to get a little bit too defiled. What, what do you think? Am I compromising my morals here? Well, I, you know, I think for someone like yourself, who's from Philadelphia, cheesesteaks, that, that's like a personal, that's a, like a mm. personal deal. Like if you're from Philly, you better be able to produce a good cheesesteak. Yes. That's uh that's entirely accurate. Now a cheesesteak is best, um, consumed or created i should say on a really really greasy stovetop right like that's what you want is when, like when you're when you're swallowing it to feel your forehead start to you know perspire like that's there is no like you want you, like you want to feel gross like you want to be questioning life choices once you're finished eating that thing so i haven't done um a cheesesteak on the grill very often we've done it like on the stovetop before but the, like on the app there's a really good cheesesteak recipe i want to give it a try We'll, we'll, we'll see if it slaps or not, but I'm going to have to find a way to manufacture the grease. Oh, I, I got to tell you, the, the, the one, when I was in Philly and I did, uh, I, did, I, I did both the traditional places, and I, I ate two cheesesteaks. I couldn't believe it. Wit Wiz is, was, was the lingo that I was told, and uh, the fact that I ate two cheesesteaks, I, I can't tell you how bad I felt. Uh, oh, I mean – I don't know if now's a good time to detail to your audience the specifics of your three-day hospital stay at the University of Pennsylvania, but at some point you're going to have to give you're going to have to give us you're going to have to give us the details of the of the entire pumping process because I, I have to imagine coming from where you came from, like you weren't you weren't ready for the way that was going to hit your underbelly. I, I'm confident in saying so. So where so everybody's like, oh, you got to do pats or you got like like what is your favorite cheesesteak when you're there? So my favorite cheesesteak. That like that style because there are multiple styles you can get. Is that pass? I, I favor pass because I favor the way they slice the meat. Um, but the 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 thing that you did was the right one. Like you have to go try pass and Dino's at the same time and go with a massive appetite. There's obviously other good places. There's a Tony Luke's at the ballpark uh, where the Phillies play. There's obviously you know Tony Luke's around the city that are outstanding. I know a lot of people that are partial to Delasandros, which is an outstanding place to go as well. Like it's actually a, a sandwich. That's pretty easy to get right. So generally speaking, you're going to make the decision based upon convenience or based upon nostalgia or maybe if you like it a certain kind of way. But, I mean, it's honestly, like the only way that you can do it badly 
is if you dry out the meat. Like if you dry out the meat, I have no time for you. Like it's a, it's, it's a deal breaker. Like it's an absolute deal breaker. But so long as you don't dry out the meat, I can, I mean, I've had good cheesesteaks in random places before and been, and been very surprised, but I've obviously had plenty of cheesesteaks for which they dry out the meat and it angers me greatly because the only thing, like, well, honestly what I want is it to almost be like a soup, like, it, 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 like, like a greased soup inside of the bread with like a little bit of meat. Like that's what it needs to be. Like it needs to just be that. So however you can manufacture the grease, the better. And you would be proud of me because I did take a picture with Mike Schmidt and Steve Carlton at the ballpark. That is outstanding. I mean, two, two legends who were just, just booed mercilessly during their, <laughs> during their <laughs> Phillies career. Um, but I mean, I, I think they're, I think they're going to, I think all the fans obviously have come around and that's the kind of town Philly is like, we are unapologetically passionate. Um, Maybe to a fault at times, but those are those are those are the legends. If you're making the Philly Mount Rushmore, uh, Schmidt and Carlton are are probably the you know the first two faces on it, and then you can you, you can have some you know some good arguments after that. But Schmidt, for my money, is the best third baseman ever, and Carlton is at minimum one of the five greatest left-handed pitchers of all time. You guys literally booed the greatest third baseman in baseball. Yeah, I mean, and you should hear and you should hear the Dick Allen stories. Like Dick Allen was a star when he was in Philadelphia. And that poor guy couldn't catch a break either. I mean, like Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons has no idea how bad Mike Schmidt. If Ben Simmons was playing in Philly in the seventies, I mean, he, he would have he would have retired and spent the rest of his life in Montenegro. Like he would he would have never he would, like he couldn't he couldn't have handled a game a game. So uh, we're over Ben Simmons. Um, and I guess maybe looking back uh, retroactively, the way that we you know treated Schmidt and and Carlton and other legendary players, you know. More more recently in my lifetime, the Ryan Howards and Jimmy Rollinses and Donovan McNabbs of the world is, is something that reflects all that favorably on us. But I've always said, like, you boo because you care. And if you want the, if you want the fans to show up, and like, you're going to have to sort of take the good with the bad. If they boo, it means they care. And if they care, they're there. That's how it works, at least in Philadelphia. You know, I was in the uh, Phillies team store, and I went, you know what the sweetest jersey would be? Is that baby mm. blue Mike Schmidt jersey. Like, I'm not, I would never wear it. I'd like buy it and hopefully he would sign it. But I was like, when I was in the Philly team store, I was like, the, that and the Pete Rose, that, that, that old gorgeous blue uniform. That's, that's money. Gorgeous. Money. That's, that, that's our childhood. It's beautiful. I, my um, purchase was a, the burgundy, like the burgundy Phillies top. Like, it's like the V-neck Phillies, it's like the, the old school uh, script tee over the heart. The burgundy color. It makes me think wear of that, like, Luzinski. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, and, and just as, as, as an aside, not a flattering look for Greg Luzinski. Like that's a lot of red, right? Like that's like I got like like it looks like he had eaten Jose Altuve when he wears those things. Like those, like the I always have felt, generally speaking, that you know white and gray baseball pants are the only way to go. Like I think sometimes the colored baseball pants look kind of tacky, but every once in a while you can pull it off. The Phillies have had awesome colors over the years. And I think, I know there are fans around there at least that wish the Phillies would lean more into the old school stuff. Like I, I think the sort of standard red and white pinstripes that they do for the home, um, for home games is, is reasonably good. But I think there's like, there's a lot of fun history to lean into there for, for the Phillies that they probably still, uh, they don't, they don't tap into as much as they should. And I'll give I'll, I'll leave you on this note. I was a big Von mm. Hayes fan back in the day. Von Hayes, okay. <laughs> it's, and, it's and funny how like who Von Hayes could swing. Yeah, Von Hayes had a had a great swing. It's funny when you're like when you're young, like the players that like you remember, like 
because like obviously growing up, there's certain players that just sort of like for whatever reason, whether it be their stance or anything about the way that they play, just sort of sort of you know match the contour of your brain. Like that's like for me for some reason that player was B.J. Surhoff. Like I was obsessed with B.J. Surhoff. Like I I'm sure I'm sure I was the only one, the only one. Um, and I actually know a, a guy that gave him his only Hall of Fame vote because he knew him as a kid and said, if you ever make it to the big leagues, I'll give you a Hall of Fame vote. So that's a thing. But that aside, like there's players like that you think about, like, you, you know, to your, to your childhood and think to yourself, like, why did I like B.J. Surhoff and why did I like Von Hayes? Well, I, I think there's probably every kid, every kid, you know, growing up has those kinds of players. So that's what makes baseball great. There's no better sport for which you can just name random old baseball players and make your, your friends laugh. Like we do it all the time. Like, just sit around – do it next time you're with your buddies. Sit around a table, three or four guys that love baseball, and just say the names of random baseball players that come into your head, and it will be funly, funny to only you, but you'll occupy yourself for an hour doing that. I'll give you another great Philly. Larry Boa was a great hey, Philly. So Larry Boa was a great Philly. Larry Boa was also maybe the worst hitter ever. Like, literally ever. Larry Boa – like, I remember being at a camp once, and one of these, like – you know, Phil, you know, ancient Phillies fans who had been watching the team since, you know, Ed, Ed Delahanty fell off the, you know, the, the waterfall. Um, like, Larry Boa should be in the Hall of Fame. I'm like, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. And then I went up and looked at the stats and like, Larry, Larry Boa could not hit a lick. But in fairness, he was playing at a time in which he didn't have to. Like, baseball was different then. Like, we didn't know how much more valuable hitting was than fielding was. And also, at that time, nobody struck out. So, like, you, you get – you know, the chance for 600 assists a year if you were a really good – like, I think Ozzie Smith had 620 assists one year. Like, it's a record that will never be touched, right? So that was an era in which, you know, having a, an infield – a collection of infielders that could really pick it did, did, you know, did, you know, serve you well. But, I mean, if Larry Boa was a player today, I, I don't think he would – I don't think he'd get more than a cup of coffee in the big league. My, my, my favorite Philly is when Lenny Dykstra came back like 40 pounds heavier in one off season. And you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> you can work out all you want. How are you 40 pounds heavier? In are, you, are, you, are you suspecting that there was foul play involved here? <laughs> I, I know, I, I know somebody who played for the giants that said that everybody knew that the best place to get greenies and certain stuff was in Philadelphia through Lenny Dykstra. Lenny Dykstra actually was supplying <laughs> a lot of baseball with PEDs and greenies. Did you know that? <laughs> uh, no, I did not know that. I, I, I know that he, he put out a book recently. I don't know how much of his book detailed uh, anything like that that he did. But, I mean, can you imagine, like, the scandal now if, you, if, if an active baseball player was, like, providing – steroids to, the, to, to, to a collection of players across the league when they visited a certain city. Like that would be, uh, 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 that would be in, in, the, in, the, in the world of Twitter. Like you, you would, you would never hear the end of that. Um, the world's a very different place now. Lenny Dystra is as unique a character as there is in Philadelphia sports history. That is for sure. And I, I mean, I'm unique is, I, I mean, there's a million words I could have used otherwise, but he certainly was unique. Hembo, you're the best, my friend. Be well, be safe. We'll talk soon. Likewise. Later boys. That is a true story. Literally, the National League went to Philadelphia and they would stock up on PEDs and greenies back in the 80s. I have that from a really, really, Cody, uh, 
reliable source. Now, no, no, that's not the 80s because he wasn't there. It was, it was the 90s. Let me correct that. When Lenny Dykstra played for the Phillies, so we're talking like what? When was he there? Like nine, it was 90, what, 93, 94, 95. I have a, a very reliable source that guys went to Philly because the mob in Philly and everything that was going on, like he went to Philly and you, you went for that. Do you have that? Do you uh, have the years? 89 to 96. Yeah. The great Ned Coletti is with us now here on A's Cast Live. And, Ned, obviously we're going to start talking some baseball. But before you know it, our San Jose Sharks are ready to to, to, to strap it on and get it going. Oh, yeah. It's coming up soon. Uh, good camp going on. A lot of enthusiasm. Some good young players stepping up. So uh, can't wait to get it going. Yeah, explain to me, Ned, all these years, how many guys do you know other than yourself have been affiliated with the Nash, with Major League Baseball and the National Hockey League? Like, there can't be many of you. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. Somebody who I'm certainly not in the same class with was Sam Pollock of the Montreal Canadiens <laughs> who was their GM for a long time and then went to the Blue Jays and helped them win but uh, that's uh, Sam, Sam was in a whole nother stratosphere than me but uh, I'm blessed to have the opportunities I've had and and uh, it's uh, you know I know it every day and I'm honored every day and uh, it's been it's been a wonderful wonderful run in a lot of ways. So one of the first gigs I ever had, even before I ever met you, Ned, was I was covering the San Jose on KNBR. I was covering the San Jose Sharks. I actually got to San Jose before the Sharks existed to play baseball at San Jose State. So it was like, like you know, they played at the Cow Palace for the first couple of years. Yeah. And, and then they were at the, the Shark Tank, which obviously I've lived around you know my entire life when i think of my adulthood you know when i think about hockey what comparisons can you have hockey and baseball well athletically um you know what i look for i look for the same thing i look for in baseball really i start with the feet and i work my way up you know how does somebody's feet work how do our hands work um what kind of compete level do they have what kind of compete level do they have when it's uh, the chips are down so to speak uh, what kind of compete level do they have when they've got a chance to to win something? Uh, their decision making, how fast is it? How good is it? But especially in hockey, how quick is it? If you're going 20 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour, and you've got people around you doing the same, you know your decision making has got to be obviously split second, almost like a hitter with a pitcher, but uh, far more so because of contact and because of, of just how the game is played. But I've, I've always looked and tried to look uh, inside the, the jersey or inside the uniform to figure out who's in there and how they play. It's, it's no different than any other walk of life or friendships or anything like that. You know, you're always you always want to know who who is it, you know, who's the player, who's the person, but more so who's the person, because we can all figure out who the players are. Obviously, uh, somebody with a passing interest in any sport can tell you who can play and who's great and who's a superstar. But at the end of the day, 
you really got to know what's inside of them, what motivates them, what sacrifices they're willing to make, how money may or may not change them, which is obviously something that's grown during my 40 years in baseball and my last three or four of working working in San Jose. So uh, it's a lot of those things that, that go, and, and the compete level. You know, when you get to October in baseball or you get to end of April, May, and June in hockey, you know, it's uh, it's not made for everybody. Who's it made for? You know, I you know I I think about my career. You know, we talk about you know Owen Nolan or or Patty Marlowe or George Thornton. You know, you think uh, my my buddy Jeff Friesen, who I played a lot of golf with. Um, I I, I got to tell you, Ned, I was so nervous the first time down at the AT and T when I interviewed Wayne Gretzky, knowing how great he was. Like literally for a. You know, you, you think about North American athlete. There's really been no one like him. How dominant where he has more assists than anyone that has points. And he's playing with Dustin Johnson, who's married to his daughter. And I just, I remember interviewing Wayne just going, this is greatness. Like people oh, don't yeah. understand, like this guy is clearly the most dominant. You can talk Tom Brady. You can talk Michael Jordan. We have never seen someone more dominant than Wayne Gretzky. Uh, I agree. And not only on the ice, but um, I'm pretty sure that your conversation with him was not a tough conversation. No, uh, Ned, Ned, my- you actually, like a couple hours later, was arm in arm with my brother at, at the bar at Pebble Beach. It was like, this guy's incredible. You know, he's, he really expanded the league. He's not only a, a, a obviously iconic athlete and hockey player, but he really, when you see the where the league has, has been very successful in the last 20, 25 years, I guess, since he first started playing in Indianapolis and then went to Edmonton and, and then came to L.A., you know, the, the, southern, the southern part of the NHL, a lot of the credit, I think, goes to Wayne Gretzky because yeah. of his mannerisms. He not only was a great player, but he helped to promote the sport with his grace and with his kindness and certainly with his play, but just with his the way he he reacted all the time. You know, I met him in spring training a handful of times when he was in Edmonton. They would come through. I was with the Cubs at the time, and it's like they had a game on the East Coast, maybe in D.C. or something on a Sunday night, and they weren't playing back in Edmonton until Saturday. So in the, in the dead of winter, stay out of the cold and give their guys a chance to do a little bit more bonding and, and, and hang out in some warm weather, they'd come to Phoenix. And they'd come to batting practice at, at Mesa where the Cubs were at. So I had a chance to meet him a couple springs and, and his teammates and talk to his teammates about him. I mean, he's a, you know, was a big baseball fan, took BP, pretty good baseball player too from what I understand. But just the way they, they respected his, his game and his reverence towards themselves and towards the sport Towards other people, no matter who you were, uh, phenomenal. I saw him a couple of years ago. There was an outdoor game at Dodger Stadium, and uh, and he came as part of the promotion to it. The uh, the Kings and the Ducks played, and uh, it was so cool looking out my office window and seeing a a hockey arena being built out in uh, you know on the infield and the, the <laughs> short part of the outfield, you know. But Crazy. there he was, and uh, you know, just somebody that exuded class and understood understood what he what he was asked to do really and what he needed to do. And, and I'm sure he did it, uh, you know, well, 99% of the user, 99, 99% of the time with, with, a you know, with a lot of enthusiasm towards doing it. 
you know, and I think about your your great career and being around people, and I I I, I rarely tell this story. It was, you know, before we get into Giants and Dodgers and what's happening here. It was it was right before COVID. I'm in Burlingame. And this is when I wasn't working for the A's. I was working for the radio station and I was on a, uh, a sales call, you know, trying to pitch something. Barry Bonds walked down the street and no one knew who he was. Mm. I'm the only guy. Now you think about that net in Burlingame. I, he walks down the street. He had a couple people with him. Not one people notice. It's like, I think about his career. And whether you love him or you don't, however you feel indifferent, I, I don't think that a, a better player, and I want you to talk to this because you watched it, you know the data, you know the analytics. I don't think there's been a better player who's ever walked the earth. I uh, People ask me all the time who are the best players that I've seen play and the best players that I've, I've seen play consistently because I – worked in that franchise or they were in the same division and you'd see them all the time. Um, I'm going to start with Willie Mays, who I saw through my early years and my teenage years for a minute. Uh, But Barry was uh, a genius. I think the the greatest hitter and baseball player I've seen um, up close on a daily basis was Barry. The greatest pitcher was Greg Maddox. Um, Both both players had a, um, a photographic memory and could recall and could read situations in an instant better than anybody I had seen in that sport. Kind of like Gretzky in a way, his, his understanding of where, where the, where the game was at that precise second, not minute, but precise second. And, uh, you know, my first year in San Francisco a long time ago now, uh, you know, I'd, I'd try and talk to Barry a couple times and, uh, you know, got nowhere, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not that tall, but I'm not invisible, you know, but, uh, <laughs> The, the next year in spring training, we had a, a casual conversation, and really from that moment on, it was um, it was a, it was great. It was uh, I had I got to the point where if I was walking through the clubhouse and he had that, that little area there, two or three lockers uh, that, that were kind of his little domain, uh, I'd had a, I had to figure out when to walk by there because there was a chance that I would need ten or fifteen minutes because if he saw me and had something on his mind or a question or a the conversation he was looking to have, you know, I was, I was going to get pulled into it. And, uh, and it was just an honor to watch him play people for sometimes, you know, they, you see the home runs and the power and this and that, but he was an excellent defensive player. He might've been the best left fielder I've ever seen. And I saw his early days in Pittsburgh when he was leading off and playing center field for the pirates, but he may have been the best left fielder I've ever seen. And sometimes that position can get left out when you talk about great defense, but he was so good at it especially balls down the line where he would, he would pivot and, and turn and fire to second base. Excellent. And also his ability to run the bases. Think about how many stolen bases oh. this man has, God. along with the power. You know, in L.A., we talk, I talk a lot about Trey Turner, somebody that's got power and speed and has someone who's, who scouts and evaluates for decades. You know, it's a rare combination to have. But you look at Barry Bonds and the power and the speed that he had. It's like, who does this, you know, but really a phenomenal player. And Greg, the same way as a pitcher. I was the only GM to ever trade for Greg. I did it twice and uh, was with him when we drafted him in Chicago and his first six years in the big leagues. And uh, again, just genius at what they do and how they think, how they see things. 
how they can react and how they can execute something to be successful because of the, the knowledge and the thought process that they, that they possess and you know, skills that they'll never lose and, and skills that probably would, would frustrate them if they were managers because they, they could probably never find anybody close to doing what they did. Yeah, Ned, I remember that poster when you're looking like like at Willie Mays, Andre Dawson, Barry Bonds, I mean, guys that got 300 home runs and 300 stolen bases, and he just flew by that like it was unbelievable. And, you know, I think about your time with the Giants. It reminds me of Oakland because obviously, you know, where we're at with Billy Bean, David Forst, Steve Vucinich is retiring now after 54 years. Just continuity works in professional sports. And I know that you and, and you and Brian are, are, I mean, what you guys did in San Francisco, I'll always respect. And, and, and I understand, even though I'm the A's guy, I, I, I understand. Just 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 talk about what that that the continuity of having the right people, right place, right time, how it works and helps you win. Well, it's interesting that you would bring that up. Uh, I teach at Pepperdine besides the TV with the Dodgers and the, and the San Jose Sharks scouting responsibilities. I'm, I'm still teaching at Pepperdine. It's my fifth, sixth year doing that. And I, one of the classes I teach is about developing a, a sports culture of sustained success and how do you do it. And it's, it's always about the people and it's about the leadership. And also, as you just said, the consistency. The consistency of leadership. One of the guests I have in class every semester is is uh, Jim Rooney, uh, godson of Art Rooney and, and son of Dan Rooney with the Pittsburgh Steelers. You look at them; they've had three coaches in probably fifty years, and and the consistency of leadership is, is right there, as well as as well as the um, um, the 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 willingness to to really get diverse in your organization. And, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers, if you look at their history, for about 30 years, they were one of the worst teams in the sport. And then uh, black sports writer Bill Nunn went to, went to Art Rooney and said, hey, you're, you're, missing, you're missing some great players. And if you look at those Steelers that won the first Super Bowl, a lot of that was, was built from drafting players from historically black colleges and universities. And so they're, they're, they're pioneering almost to, to expand the field of talent and people and, and great people uh, it was, was grown. And because of that, they became ultra successful. And if you, you look at other sports, the same thing. So I think the consistency of leadership and really the, the ability to pioneer beyond what people typically think or do is, is invaluable to success. And the continuity that we had in San Francisco was, was excellent. You know, I was there for 11 years. We had two managers, and, and Dusty managed, I think, maybe nine of my 11 years there. And, you know, Brian and I worked together all those years. And, and you know, Dick Tidrell, God bless him, same thing. You know, there was yeah. there was a group of, of, of three uh, in, the, in the front office with a lot of support from a lot of great young people that are, are still in the game and, and had great had and have great careers. But the consistency in life is important. The balance of life is important. And, and how you think, and not only just thinking out of the box, like, like your A's, like, like Billy and David have done for years, uh, but to be able to, to think like they think and to be able to execute and to be able to, to think differently than others is, is really a defining, I think, what defines great organizations. Consistency, being diverse in your thought process and, and who you hire and who you trust and who you rely on, 
and also your 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 ingenuity to look at things differently and through different windows and have the courage to do it. Okay, not everything's going to work, but you have to have the courage to try it, to do it, and and to know if it's going to work or if it's not going to work after you've tried it. And if it hasn't worked, you have to have the courage to say, hey, you know what, we uh, we tried something, it's not working, so we're going to try something else, and that's that's part of success. But you it's know, uh, it's been a pleasure to, to to know the people I know. Yeah, you know, no doubt. And I think about your great career, and you know, I think about Billy Bean. And I've talked to Doug Wilson about this. And, and I remember Dave Pert, who was a VP of the Niners back in the day. And people, you know, obviously the book gets written and we got the movie and the whole thing. But obviously what Billy Bean has done and David Forrest with him has been special. You know, when you think back of your career, uh, you think about with the Dodgers or you think of, you know, the greatness that you, you guys had there in San Francisco. What was it like dealing with the A's back in those days and knowing that they've written a book, they've done a movie? What was it like? Um, great question. You know, I, I had so many enjoyable conversations with Billy. You know, I, I knew um, Paul D. Podesta a little bit better than, than Dave. Um, but Billy, it was always great conversation. We'd see him in spring training. You know, he'd be, we'd go over to, to Phoenix to watch our you know, Giants play the A's and and sit with Billy and talk to Billy. And when I became the GM, you know, I, I knew Billy very, very well. And I, and I knew that he was really good at what he does, you know, <laughs> and uh, my first deal, uh, you know, I traded for Andre Ethier. I traded a Milton Bradley and another player for Andre Ethier, who turned out to be obviously a mainstay with the Dodgers for over a decade. By the way, you won that, Ned. <laughs> but <laughs> irregardless of that, of, of who won what, you know, it's, I always enjoyed talking to him and, and, and kind of like Barry in a way, you know, if, if I saw his number come up on my cell phone or vice versa, you know, I knew I had to have some time because we would get through with the business or whatever, whatever the topic was that prompted the call, but there was going to be a lot more conversation that followed. And, uh, you know, I, I miss seeing him. I, I texted him maybe six months ago just to check in and see how he was doing. Uh, I miss talking to him. Uh, because he was he was fun to talk to. There was always there was always some laughter inter, interspersed in our conversations, and uh, you know the more people you know of of the ilk of, of Billy and, and and David and and Paul and, and certainly Saves, you know the better you get, because if you're paying attention and you're listening to conversations, and I lo- I've learned for years that I learn nothing by talking, I only learn by listening and by watching. But uh, you can learn a lot from guys like like uh, Sabes and Billy, and uh, you know it was such a great time, great time to to be in that in the Bay Area and to to do it. I, you know, I I actually turned the Giants down uh, when they offered me the position uh, back in uh, 1994, I think it was, and because um, I wasn't sure, I'd been to San Francisco and the Bay Area many times with the Cubs. But I just wasn't sure, you know, the cost of housing and, and everything else. And the Giants had almost moved to Tampa not too uh, not too long before I, I interviewed for the job. But, you know, Bob Kuhn was a GM and, and he was great to me. And Brian kind of convinced me and, and uh, said, look, we, we got a chance to do some things here. We really need you. And so, you know, I made the move and I'm so glad I did. It's been it's been one of the highlights of my career and of my life. Uh, I never, ever, growing up in Chicago, thought I would live a minute in California. 
And here I am, 26, 27 years into my California days and 40 years in baseball. So Hell, California, living in L.A. I remember we did the interview. He was like, you can't live on an 8, a 5, a 10, the free. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you this about Brian Sabian. See, Brian was never nice to me. And, you know, as a media person, you got to get over it. Um, Brian was really salty to deal with in, in, in a lot of ways back in the days of KMBR. But um, I think Billy, Billy Bean and Brian Sabian are two guys that we should have in the Baseball Hall of Fame. They're both oh, goodness. Yes. Like, right? No, it's like no question. Yeah. Uh, if, yeah, you're, ask, you're asking somebody that would vote for that in a heartbeat on both cases. You know, Billy has changed the game uh, with his – with with analytics certainly with Moneyball and with a lot of different things and thought process and has has been doing it for decades. Uh, you know, players who were rookies when when he first started in the executive role, high up there with Sandy Alderson. You know, their careers are long over. You know, I mean, they're they probably exhausted their Hall of Fame eligibility as as former players even. Uh, and and Brian, you know, four World Series appearances, three championships, the first three. In, um, in the history of the San Francisco part of the franchise. I mean, epic stuff. I mean, that's that's not easy to do. The giant teams that, that he constructed, and I was there for 11 of them, uh, but even the ones that I, I, I competed against from L.A. were, you know, they were so good and so thoughtful. You know, I can't tell you how many times uh, I'd, I'd have to think in the same manner of saves, uh, and, and it paid off for me, handsomely in a lot of different ways but we i think we we taught each other a lot i know he taught me a bunch and uh, we still stay in touch quite a bit and uh you know a couple of times a month probably and some months four or five times so really uh bordering on genius as well in his thought process and his deliberation you know i would go to him in february with an idea and sit across from me and he just kind of look at me and he wouldn't say anything and, you know, and we talked probably 360 days a year and might be October, November. And I he'd say, hey, come in, in here for a minute. I go in his office and he'd say, you remember what you brought to me in February about so-and-so? I said, yeah. He goes, let's do it. I mean, it was like, didn't forget anything. And his, his ability to project and to see things and to know one of his greatest traits, I think, is his ability to know when to do something. You know, uh, decision making, most GMs, managers, you know, executives, whatever, I mean, whoever has decision making in their life, personal, professional, uh, they're, they're graded or evaluated on the result of the decision, right? I mean, we all know that no matter what it is, personal, professional. Nobody I've been around, I've been around a lot of great managers and, and other GMs, either in the same room or as, as part of the team or, or, um, just in competing against nobody I know had a has a better feel for knowing when to make the decision because when is a huge part of the decision not everything can be done the day you think about it it takes time it takes it takes a lot of precise thinking takes exchanges he and I used to talk for we would take walks on the road for sometimes two hours a day and sometimes we talk for 120 minutes. Sometimes we talk for five minutes. But we, we challenged thought process. It was one of the great, great things that we were able to do uh, and really grow our 
our experiences, our conversations. And, and really, when you look at the, the giant teams from 97, when he became the GM, uh, all the way through, you know, they had some payroll at some point in time, but not always. The candlestick years were, were not, not necessarily rich with funding, and nor, and nor were some of the early years at, at the uh, new ballpark, which is no longer a new ballpark. I'll, I'll always think of it as a new ballpark. But you had to be creative. You had to be thoughtful. You had to make the right moves, again, at the right time. And nobody in my career has been better at that than he is. Nobody. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll say this, that uh, we're old enough to remember um, what you meant. Yeah, there's a lot of there, there, there's going to be a lot of credit to Brian Sabian. There's going to be a lot of credit to Barry Bonds and the transition from as someone who did the last postgame show ever at Candlestick Park. And I did the first pregame show at Pac Bell Park. What you meant to that franchise Ned, I know. And that's one of the reasons why we, you know, obviously we can talk Dodgers Giants is going to be big, but what you meant for that franchise and behind the scenes, <laughs> I, I, I know. And that's one of the things that I will always respect about you and, you know, you know, your opportunity with the Dodgers, but you were a big part of what happened with the San Francisco Giants. And that should always be remembered. Well, I, I thank you very much for your for your scouting report and for your memory to it all. You know, it's um, it's always been an honor for me. I take nothing for granted. I lived in a remodeled garage till I was five, six years old. Uh, I had wonderful parents. My dad died a young man, and um, I just I, I still go at it the same way. You know, I have three full time jobs. I'm getting near uh, the sunset of my professional career. Uh, and none of the, I would guess that none of the three jobs that I have and the people that uh, I report to would tell you that I've sacrificed that position for the other two. So I, I take everything I do with with a lot of passion and, and a lot of sincerity, and I never want to disappoint. And uh, my time in San Francisco will always be precious to me, always. Just the, the way that um, I grew to love the region, the area, the city, the people. Some of my best friends uh, are there. I, I talk to people in the Giants organization. I left 16 years ago, Chris. That's a long yeah. time. And and I still have dear friends in that organization or some that have, have left the organization to do other things. But it'll, again, it, you know, it's, it's always about the people. And it's always about the people you meet and, and the reactions you have and the kindness people show and that you show them and the gratitude you show them and the gratitude they show back and the grace that you give to them and the grace that they give to you. It's all, you know, it's important to me. And I, I've been blessed beyond measure in my life and my career to have the chances that I've had without a sponsor. I had nobody who would open a door for me or nobody who'd make a call for me. I didn't, I didn't have that type of, of early career, or early life. I had to work for everything. I've never been the smartest person in any room. But you know what? Give me a chance to compete and give me a chance to work hard. You know, I'll take anybody on type of thing. You know, so I thank you for the for the uh, the thoughts that that was that's very kind of you, and I uh, no, I'm honored to have had a chance to do that. It, it's well deserved. And let's end on this. You know, I think about the Dodgers. You know, eight years winning the division, which had never happened in the National League West, and the fact that they had to go through the wild card game. 
I know my friends up here, you know, I, you know, Ned, I don't like the giants being, an A's guy. I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not rooting for him. Uh, I don't think you want to face these guys. I mean, just, just talk about, I mean, this is a Dodger team that's been through a lot. They're really battle hardened. Well, you don't want to face who the Dodgers or the giants. I don't want to face the Dodgers. If I was, yeah, the I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you on that. Giants have had a phenomenal season. Uh, nobody, it's, it's probably one of the most remarkable seasons I've ever seen. And, and so much credit from the players and the veteran players, to, you know, the Posies, Crawfords, Belts, Ruffs, veteran guys, Johnny Quato, so many, and, and great young players and the job far hands done and Gabe's done and the coaching staff, including Ronnie Wotus, my dear friend for decades. Yeah. Um, you know, it'll come down to how well they pitch. And how well they that bullpen, which has been great, how well that bullpen will pitch late, because the Dodgers are a relentless crew, and you get to that sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth inning, and if the, if the Giants happen to have a, a small lead, couple runs, run tie game, they had better be able to pitch and make pitches and have courage to do it, because Dodgers will make you pay. We saw it the other night. You know, Chris Taylor had, I think, eight hits in his last 72 at-bats going back five weeks. You saw what happens, and they have a lot of people capable of doing that, plus the experience. To your point, Chris, eight, eight division champions in a, in a row, nine trips, you know, into October, plus trips before that, too. Not, not some of these, but, you know, Kenley and, and Clayton, certainly. But there's so much experience, and there's such a calmness and a confidence with this group. You know, candidly, I, I don't know who in the National League beats them. You know, I've been spending more time in the American League the last couple of weeks knowing that we were going to have to talk about it at some point in time on the air, hopefully. But, you know, I, I don't know anybody in the National League that can pitch consistently well enough to beat them. It can't be six innings. You could throw six innings and no-hit baseball. Perfect game through six. If you're up by one and the starting pitcher comes out, means very little at that point in time. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, you know, I think about this roster, and your fingerprints are still on this roster on this day. And I think about Clayton Kershaw and and your relationship with him. And what we'll end on this is that, you know, some people up here have said, so I'll tell you this, Ned. Last year when we got into the postseason, I was like the A's or whoever. Whoever wins this championship, is going to be one of the most unique and toughest championships to ever win. These guys are getting tested every day. These guys are in a bubble. They can't be around their families. Like, And then all of a sudden, Ed, we've got up here people going, oh, the Dodgers, they want a weak championship. I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Truly what the Dodgers did last year, and I'll throw the Rays in there. I think all of us who made the postseason – it was literally the toughest championship because of COVID and testing and death and bubbles and everything that we dealt with. I, the, the people who try and like throw the Dodgers under the bus, not being a great team last year, they're wrong. Well, I, I can't, and I'm not going to disagree. I, I, I'm right with you. It was a very, very trying year in every walk of life for anybody I know in any field of life or any part of life. And uh, so many different challenges. And, uh, you know, that's they won what they needed to win. And they also they also got shorted a little bit and they haven't forgotten it. 
they didn't have a parade. They didn't have, you know, what the Giants had, you know, in those three years, uh, those three championships. They they missed that. They had none of that. They had none of the celebration inside a, a massive city that that loves them uh, to enjoy it. Everybody went home. And the and the game six celebrated on the field. Everybody went home. And so that also lives with these guys. They've talked about it to me all year long that they need, they need a chance to, to, to celebrate it and to, to exhale with, with a chance to be world, world Series champions that they, that they kind of missed out on last year. They did everything they needed to do. 60-game season, expanded playoffs. Nobody had, they had the same rules everybody else had, and they, they, they survived everybody and won it. But they also lost out on on some things, and I'm, I'm sure the you know the Bay Area fans don't really care about that. But you know that's that's their moniker, and that that's what they think, and that's how they go about it, and that that's what people are probably going to see in these next three four weeks. Well, Ned, you know everything back here with us. We're always going to think of you as a great executive with the uh, with the San Francisco Giants, and now with our San Jose Sharks. Be well, be safe, my friend, and hopefully the Dodgers keep winning. We'll talk to you later on the postseason. All right, Chris. Thank you so much for the time and the the conversation that I love talking to you. The great Ned Coletti right here on A's Cast Live. Yeah, that guy is a really, really bright man. And, you know, you think of how the Giants turned. He was a big part of that. And I gotten to know him over the years. And uh, we got Sharky starting up. When's the first game, Cody? Uh, Next Saturday against... The Jets. Yeah, next Saturday night at home. Have you gotten our press passes and our parking passes? Have you taken care of that? Or do I need to do that? Uh, I haven't done it yet. I don't even know who to email there because all, my guy's gone. He now runs the Kraken. Scott Emmert. My guy, Scott Emmert. Well, see, He's that, the head. That's, see, that's your guy. My guy that I go on through is not there uh, anymore. He runs God. the Kraken. The Seattle Kraken? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, such an interesting. Seattle game. has a hockey team, but doesn't have a basketball team. Figure that one out. Not, not if yet. You remember back to the Seattle Supersonics. Not yet, but they might soon. We'll see. Unbelievable. Or right, is that it? That's it. Real quick, the uh, Brewers are up two nothing on the Braves. Rowdy Tellez hit a two run homer in the bottom of the seventh off of Charlie Morton, who was still in the game. Do you give the White Sox any chance being down 2 nothing? No. Not against Houston. Your friend? I mean, you're, you're talking about a dear friend of yours. No, they're done. You mean you and Tony La Russa are, like, tight? They're done. You think of all the ARF and everything you guys have been a part of? No? I don't think Liam? so. Liam? Our buddy Liam? Uh, I, I don't think so. There was a quote. Uh, I, I, I'd have to scroll through my Twitter to find it, but... Something, someone. I guess somebody asked Tony about Kimbrel pitching and the situation that he was in, and how he's not. That's not usually his situation where he pitches and all this stuff. It's like, again, does it really matter? Like, you were losing, and then he came in and, or no, sorry, you weren't losing. He came in and just stunk it up. Like he's been terrible for you since you acquired him. It wasn't just because he didn't pitch the eighth inning or ninth inning. He hasn't been good for you. It, it, it's gonna be Tampa against Houston. Oh yeah, it's the bottom line. I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's Tampa-Houston. 
Now, is that a great ratings draw for baseball? I don't care. They're the two best teams. We know they're the two best teams. It's Tampa-Houston. I'll take Tampa. Same. Yeah. But Houston's no joke, man. When you go through that lineup, like, you're, like, looking at that, you're like, wow. It's firepower. They got firepower. Yeah, and Correa just said that uh, that that Kyle Tucker's been the best hitter in their lineup and probably the most underrated player in the league. And think about that. Who the hell is Kyle Tucker? He, who is this guy? Left-handed, no batting gloves, whack, hitting the ball out of the ballpark. He's been one of their top prospects for years, and he finally put it together last year and then this year. I mean, every guy, like Brantley and Altuve and Bregman and Correa. I mean, it's firepower. If there's anybody you can take them out, it's Tampa. Because Tampa can match up against you. Oh, yeah. Tampa, you, you, you know what you know would be the, the most interesting thing? And I don't know how we'll look at this. But you know what Tampa does? They neutralize you. They're probably the best organization at, at basically saying, okay, what do you do well? We're going to take care of that. That's what they've done. I just saw it. They have five homegrown players on their roster. Everyone else has from been through trades and like free agency. Yeah, the whole thing about drafting is ridiculous. Let's stop that. Yeah, they 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 develop players and they trade them or let them go. Then they they're really good at finding other guys. Like JP Fires. What we do is we we trade for other teams' players. Yeah. Well, look at every starting pitcher. But in Tampa the is not a homegrown. The people act like oh, it's a homegrown team. That's so. The days of Longoria and Crawford and those guys are so all it's 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 over. Yeah, Randy Rosarena uh, came up through it's the Cardinals. A Cardinal, he right? Was a Cardinal. He played in the postseason yeah. for the Cardinals in 2019. So. They they are really good at taking you out of your game. It's kind of like a football deal, right? Like what you're good at doing as an offense. Tampa, if, if you looked at it like a football team, they take you away from what you do. It's very impressive. They have Bill Belichick running their their and they've got <laughs> and you've got no answer for it. Cause literally, I know they hit a lot of home runs, but they were terrible offensively. Right? Like what was their team batting average? Weren't they like the lowest in base? They were one of the lowest. They're in the bottom half. Yeah, and they struck they struck out the most in baseball too. Yeah, they but but you know what they do? They win. That's what they're good at, and they 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 take guys and they're starting the former starting pitchers like Michael Walker and say we're going to have you just throw max velocity for two innings, and this is what we're going to do for you. And look how good Walker has been good for them out of the bullpen. Colin McHugh has like reinvented himself in their Colin bullpen. McHugh, Jesus, I mean his ERA is like one. I mean Colin McHugh, real quick before we go out, McHugh this year. Um, his E let me find his, his ERA was like 1.56 or something like that. It was like ridiculous for his season. McHugh this year in 37 games, he was six and one with, uh, a one five, five ERA in 64 innings. And he couldn't even start in Houston. Yeah. He yeah. became like the, the sixth guy in Houston. So there you go. That's what they do. That's what they do with their guys. They put these guys in the best position to to be successful. Then they move on from you. It's unbelievable. All right, is that it? 
Yeah, that's it. I, I got to get up to Oracle Park. Oh, that's right. You got to go to Giants Dodgers. Yeah. With the, with the Dodger fan. Are you going to be wearing your Sacram your no. Sacramento Kings shirt? No, I'm, I'll be wearing um I'm going to think I'm wearing my How's my pal shirt that I got. You know, how the hot dog vendor, I have one of those shirts. You need it. Yeah, I, I want to know what you're wearing at a Giants Dodgers playoff game. Well, it won't be either either team's apparel because I'm not a fan of either of them. So, God, I can't root for either team. It's horrible. So, by the way, real, real quick, I just saw it on Twitter. Uh, Dave Roberts said he has a hunch that Bruce Bochy will not be back managing next year. Just a hunch. So, we'll leave you on that. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting because yeah. you know Roberts and Bochy are tight. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see if he's the manager. Or he not. doesn't think Bochy will come back? Uh, he said it's a hunch, so it's not for sure, but that's just something he said. I have to listen to the audio. It was a tweet people are sending out. So Dave Roberts would not say that unless he knew. Let's be honest. Friend of the program, by the way, Dave Roberts, who he got me in high school, but I got him in college. Dave Roberts said he doesn't think Boach will be back. So, see, there. I think there is something about that whole retirement deal where you're like, do I want to be back? Eh. Does Bruce Bochy want to come back and deal with these Padres? Do you think he wants to be back and deal with these guys? We'll find out. We'll see what he – we'll see if he wants – I mean – it's, everyone seems to think it's going to be him, but I mean, if it's not him, I hope it's Wash. To be honest, I just I I can see Bochi really just going. I don't want to deal with the, I don't want to deal with the crap. Do you see Bruce Bochi managing a team? All these guys are high fiving and doing all the stuff that they do. <laughs> you think he wants to do that? Maybe he's changed like Tony has. Uh, as I watched Jock Peterson hit a solo home run, now it's two one. So, well, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna err on the side of caution and say that Bruce Bochy doesn't come back. You're probably right, but maybe we'll find out more by Monday. Maybe the Padres hired He's a manager. He's made millions of dollars. He can go wherever he wants. Does he want to come back and do the daily grind? Because that's the thing I worry about, Melvin. Like a little insight, I think at some point Bob Melvin's just gonna go like I don't want to do it. Bob Melvin wants to travel. He and his wife have a lot have a lot of goals that they want to do. That's what scares me about Melvin is at some point he's just going to go, I'm out of here. And then where do we go? Well, luckily, we don't have to worry about that right now. Right now, we don't have to worry about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. But it it's, it's going to happen. All right, we'll see everybody back on Monday. We're now going to send it back to A's cast powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.